back to another edition of the Tetracast. This is RPG Sites weekly podcast where we get the site staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. We have the usual crew here once again. My name is Brian Vitale. I'm your host. Joining me, I've got Josh Torres. This is one for the books. We have Adam Vitale. Hello. James Glizio. Here it comes. And Chow Min Wu. All right. As we speak into the microphone now, we're recording this on Saturday, April 22nd. Uh, already hard to believe that we are just over a week away until May. May, of course, is a lot of releases, including Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. So as we go through April, we've had a few games that have come out that we want to talk about, some of them more surprising than others. We have a few people here that are also playing some other games behind the scenes that we can't talk about quite yet. So this podcast might feel a little bit different because we have a few things that we just uh, might have to wait a couple weeks before we can open up and talk about openly. Until then, we're going to talk about the few things that have come out in April before the heavy hitters in May and June. In addition to the heavy hitters, in the last couple of weeks of the podcast, we've talked about primarily Zelda, of course, and Final Fantasy 16. Uh, looking over the outline of today's podcast, it looks like the theme here is mostly going to be other trailers for smaller uh, June and beyond games. A lot of gameplay focused trailers in in this slide up here. So those will be interesting to go through. But as always, we're first going to start out with a abbreviated games we've been playing section. Well, abbreviated and then also maybe a little bit different. Uh, more on that when we get there. Well, I'm going to open up here with one of the I won't say major releases, but a release of the last of the last week that came out on pretty much every console, and that is a new League of Legends story game called The Mage Seeker. This came out just this last week. I've basically been playing any of these games that have fallen within the RPG or RPG-adjacent ad umbrella. Uh, I do not play League, so a lot of these characters and, and areas are new to me, but I decided to download The Mage Seeker and just kind of see... Uh, what this game is like. We've talked about this, of course, as it's led up to its release this last week, how it's evocative of Hyperlight Drifter, how it's being developed by the same studio as um, Moonlighter, which was a fun Zelda-like that came out a few years ago. So I went ahead and downloaded this game just to kind of see uh, exactly what it was all about. So the Mage Seeker is a top-down action game with kind of a like a 16-bit Genesis kind of style art that stars a character named Silas. Now, of course, anyone listening to this that has like any League of Legends background is probably going to grimace at like this this uh, this novice trying to dis this I'm learning about all mm -hmm. these characters and all these places in this context for the first time. This is the second time. There's the second like League of Legends spin-off thing that you're, you're learning more about League of Legends, not by playing the game itself, but through other side projects they're doing. Yeah, so um. I played, of course, Ruined King uh, two years ago, I believe. There's been a few other projects, uh, and there's a few that are also still in the works. But these are the two, Ruined King and Mage Seeker, that are kind of in that RPG space. Um, this one primarily focuses on the mages and the mage seekers, which, of course, the game takes its title after. About The, the protagonist is Silas and uh, the kingdom of Demacia or Dem Demesia. I actually don't know how it's pronounced. So I only know how it's written. Um, so let me kind of tee this up based on how the characters and world is presented in this scope of this game. So there, it's it, it almost reminds me in a few ways of like um, of the Dragon Age Origins and Two, where in this area there are certain people that are born with magic abilities, mages, but they are persecuted, and basically this kingdom tries to wrestle them under their thumbs and keep them under control. And that's basically this, this police force is kind of how they're described as the mage seekers. 
And Silas is a mage seeker initially in a flashback or in the background in the premise of the game. However, he eventually learns that he kind of has a unique magic power where he can steal the abilities of other mages and use them temporarily. The game is kind of coy about whether or not this makes Silas himself a mage or just someone that leeches off of mages. But either way, he has kind of this unique ability that's kind of bespoke to him. And then the kingdom basically puts him in jail for 15 years. Um, he ended up accidentally killing, uh, I believe, a boy and his family uh, in, in this flashback. And I don't know if these events are detailed more thoroughly in other avenues, but he's put in jail. And then he ends up breaking free by using his ability to steal the magic powers of one of the uh, the crowned royalty, a, a major character named Lux, who I was aware of even before playing this game. And then is basically hell-bent on revenge against the kingdom. And he's basically framed as this single-track, simple-minded, revenge-focused character. So not very sympathetic. He's uh, just like me. Kind of. Um, <laughs> sorry. <I don't>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But he, he's, he, he's not framed as like a typical protagonist. He's very much like, I don't want to, I don't want to band together with these uh, goody two shoes. I, 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 I want to fight. If I'm not fighting, I feel like I'm wasting my time. I'm my, my single focus is revenge. These guys put me in jail for 15 years, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, it, but then he's, he's met a few characters that are effectively like a resistance group comprised of other mages that are also looking to fight back and, have a have an area that is free for all mages to to exist peacefully etc um so basically that's kind of the main conceit of the narrative uh the gameplay we've compared it so often to hyperlight drifter based on the footage and i i've kind of returned to that well over and over again because i've played hyperlight drifter i have not played moonlighter which is the other game from uh the studio and this studio is what let me i want to make sure i actually get the studio right digital sun yeah, it's, I was like digital. I, I, off the top of my head, I think they are Spanish. I don't know. I don't know. Let me check. All right, while you check on that, so um, the, I, so far in this game, it's I'll talk about the the gameplay first, the, the some of the systems second, and then maybe a little bit more on the story third. First of all, this game just seems really kind of breezy and light and kind of very very focused. Um, it's it's it's. It's very pick up and play. It doesn't seem like it's going to be too long. I've, I've put about four hours into it, and it actually has like a percentage completion on your save file. And I'm already like 40% done. So it looks like it's about a 10-hour game. That's being completionist. I bet if you mainlined it, you could do it faster. So it seems like it's a very breezy, kind of simple, short title, which might be to its credit because uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be any longer than that. But this game, you have a character who you have. It, it starts out. It has a very good tutorialization through the first couple chapters as more of the gameplay systems and progression systems are unveiled and revealed to you as you go through. So you start out and you you, you move with your analog stick and you have a light attack and you have a heavy attack. Uh, heavy attacks uh, can break through shields, light attacks just do damage, and you have a dash that dodges abilities. And the dash also, not only does it reposition your character, but it does have like evasion frames so you can like dash through enemy attacks. So very, very conventional so far. How it gets a little bit unconventional is that Silas has like this tether, which is if you look at any of the key art, it's those chains that are attached to his gauntlets that he can use to latch onto enemies. You do this with like the, the shoulder and trigger buttons of your controller if you're playing with the controller. And what, what this allows him to do is it allows him to do three things. One, it allows him just to grapple as if it were a grappling hook. So this is obviously kind of used um, 
for zone traversal. Like if you see a gap and you see a target on the on the other side of like a, of a broken bridge, you can grapple to it, etc. So that's pretty straightforward. But it also allows you to grapple to enemies. And if that enemy is a spellcaster, you can then steal their spell. You use, I believe it's the left trigger to, if it's a, like a fire mage that you're trying to, Early on, the very first level is you're trying to escape from the capital city and the, the, the mage seekers are coming after you. Some of them cast fire spells, some of them cast ice spells. And you can latch on to enemies using your little your grapple hooks and steal the fire spells from these enemies and then use the right trigger, the opposite trigger, to launch them back. Of course, this starts out with a very basic premise where you've got fire and ice mages, steal the spells from the fire mage, cast them at the ice mages and vice versa. So that's like, okay, that makes sense. And then as you go through, you also, you, you meet mages that cast like wind spells, spells that do shields. And then you, then you eventually learn how to tier these up and it ends up becoming like this whole progression system where once you steal a spell for the first time, you can then uh, upgrade it, augment it, slot multiple spells at once, et cetera, et cetera. So this system is kind of fun because these, these are all very basic, simple ideas that end up kind of melding together in a way that and that ends up making it quite dynamic where you'll have characters that are um charging at you so of course you've got to use your melee attacks and your dodges to avoid damage while these spellcasters usually that are further away from you are you know slinging fireballs and ice shards at you and you've got to like latch onto them steal their spells redirect with the right analog stick and launch them back at the other characters or at the um the non-magic enemies all while dodging doing physical attacks U using physical attacks builds up your mana and allows you to cast your own spells so in general the gameplay is a lot of simple systems that just mesh together in a in a very honest and genuine kind of easy to understand way that's not overcomplicated but not also too simple does uh, it feel like like uh, like the variety of spells that you get throughout the game? Does it feel like it changes up the gameplay substantially? Like, do you feel like you're you're having to like employ like different tactics against different kinds of enemies, or thinking about you know like to try to change it up the way you play? A little bit, and like I said, I'm only four hours in, uh, mm -hmm. but even though it is a shorter game, seemingly based on the completion, but. Like some of the spells, for instance, you, you the first fire spell that you learn is just a fireball. Very you 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 aim it and then you fire it. And then the All second right. one you learn the second one you learn is it drops a fire field at your feet. So basically, how to use that one effectively is you grapple onto the enemy because you can grapple yourself towards enemies as well as like targets. Then drop the spell, then dash out. Like so, like there's a little bit of dynamicism there where instead of just slinging spells. You're encouraged to get close, not only use melee abilities, but drop spells at your feet and then leave. There's also some spells that put like a shield around you that periodically damages anyone that's close to you. So it kind of encourages you. You but you have a very basic allotment of stats. I believe the stats are HP, mana points, attack power, magic power, and one other thing, I forget. But very basic. It's like five, four or five basic stats, and two of them are strength and magic. So you're very you're kind of encouraged to do a hybrid play style. Uh, based on how the spells are designed and just based on how the what what combats uh, encounters are delivered to you with both characters that attack you up close and, and characters that pelt you from far away. And usually the, they'll interact with the map design as well, where enemies will be like on the other side of gaps or bridges or they'll fire at, the, fire at you from ledges where you can't always get close. So you have to sling spells or you can grapple to them if you want to like if you're out of mana and you need to like recharge it by using them with your melee attacks to recharge your mana, things like that. The, I will say the pace is a little bit slower and more deliberate than hyperlight drifter, just in terms of like how quickly you move 
the, the speed of the animations. It's a little bit more, um, a little bit stiffer. I, and I kind of wish it was a little bit more fluid, but that could also just be my preconceptions where I, I expected the game to play at a certain pace, but it doesn't quite play at that pace. It plays a little bit slower. So it's not bad. It was just different from my expectations. Um, as for the general progression, it has a lot of tried and true sort of things that we see in a lot of games, either RPG or RPG adjacent games uh, these days. Like very, very early on, you're introduced to surprise a hub of sorts. And this hub has like a place where you can upgrade spells, a place where you can um, upgrade your stats and have a skill tree and a place where you even can like recruit outcasts or recruits to basically have aligned in your like resistance group. And usually these people are also spellcasters and they don't actually appear on screen. Like it's not like you have these characters following you. But for instance, one of the very earliest outcasts that you get with you, his name is Lauren. He's an ice mage. And if you quote unquote, bring him with you on a mission, what it does is that it powers up your ice spells and makes some of your melee attacks have ice attributes. And then there's one, I, I unlocked both a fire mage and a wind mage as well. So there's basically, um, there's elemental kind of spell kits, then you can kind of align that with having a support character that augments those abilities and changes them. And of course, you might want to adjust which one you use, depending on which enemies you're fighting in any given area, because they might have a particular weakness that you want to exploit. Um, and it, the the game is kind of semi-mission based, where you go, to, you literally, and this is not something I was expecting. You go to like a war table. On that war table, you have main missions. And these main missions will say like, hey, you go to this area. You'll be expected to encounter these types of enemies. Uh, or you have side missions where it says, hey, in this area, you'll, you'll get something extra. You'll get some more money or whatever, but encounter these types of enemies. Or there's actually missions that are like dispatch missions where as you as you recruit outcasts and support units, you can literally send them out to basically increase their strength passively as they go out on these dispatch missions. So I wasn't really kind of expecting this game to have like a mission-based structure because I was expecting it to kind of be more Zelda-like, semi-open, where you kind of have like a central area, then you explore out from there. But it's a lot more arcadey. It's a lot more choosing levels from a list or from a map, taking them and then bringing the rewards back to base. That's so pretty interesting, a, actually. I wouldn't have expected that either. Yeah, because obviously, again, to use the Hyperlight Drifter comparison, that game is it's basically like you have an overworld map. And as you unlock more abilities and get stronger, you can kind of venture out in different directions and kind of unlock each area, each region on that map, which you then eventually take back like as it all funnels into a common endpoint where this I it can, seems a I lot can more kind linear. of appreciate that because like like I assume like each of these levels are very distinct, different, and like their level designs really complement like you know the gameplay that they're going for. So instead of like trying to make like a, a cohesive like open zone or open world structure that like maybe levels have to kind of like you know make sense aesthetically, maybe that that would like kind of affect the level design mentality going into the game. And maybe you know I assume like what you've you've played so far, I'm gonna have to assume like maybe the level design in this way like maybe uh, strengthens the core gameplay more. I will say the level theming is definitely different from location to location. You start out in the ruined capital, you go to a dark forest, then you go to like, uh, like sort of like a like a, a science fortress, then you go to like a seaside town. So thematically, they're very different. I will say that the design is so far pretty this similar from place to place. Oh, okay. It's quite linear. Like you'll you'll have an access to a map. The map very clearly highlights where your destination is. 
And it's kind of like Octopath Traveler 1 and to a lesser extent 2, where it's like you might have an obvious fork where it's like, aha, if I go to this fork, it very clearly has a dead end. So very clearly there's going to be something there and it's either a treasure chest or a piece of lore or a, a character you can recruit. So it's, it's basically, it's almost like it betrays itself where it's like if there is a dead end on your map that you can see, you know that there's always going to be something there for you to pick up. So you're always I, going to I go know, yeah. <laughs> and, but to be clear, we're not just picking like, like, that's a lot of like RPGs in general, right? Like a lot that's of- true. Like, Final <laughs> Fantasy 13 is what I'm thinking of now. Yeah, but, MF10 even, you know, just like, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's a common thing in like, you know, just dungeon design and art, like a lot of RPGs. Yeah. Um, than you. There aren't, there, so far I haven't really encountered anything that's quite puzzle-like. There, like, so far I haven't encountered any like switches or moving platforms. I have encountered a few places where like on the map, it doesn't clearly show that you can go somewhere, but you can like head under a bridge or into a, a grove of trees. And you end up with like on a place where if you pull up the map, you're technically off the map. I'm not sure if I'm describing that well, but if there's like the map clearly shows where you can go, but there are also hidden area, hidden areas you can go that aren't clearly shown on the map. So you kind of have to look a little bit at the context clues of visually what you're seeing and not just adhere to what the map shows and say like oh there's an opening in this in this clearing of trees i bet i can go in there waha i, I can here's a treasure chest or whatever um so that kind of explains the gameplay and the progression and it's it's very it's very straightforward it's very easy to learn it's very simple but i'm i'm not saying that with any sort of judgment i'm actually kind of enjoying that it's just very casual very breezy um, and kind of just, you're just kind of enjoying just the vibes and the, and it's, it's, it's easier than hyperlight drifter so far, but there are a ton of like, there's like a difficulty sliders where you can, uh, make you do multipliers more or less damage enemies do more or less damage. So you can kind of tweak this up or down, um, to whatever extent you want. Uh, I was just playing on normal, normal, all slider set center, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm finding it pretty easy. Um, but obviously that's kind of my choice at that point. The one thing I will say that it's a bit. I, I disappointing, but that's kind of stating it too strongly. Just something that I wish was a little bit had a little bit more to it is that so far, every single treasure chest or every single collectible or, or in this game pretty much is just currency. It's basically just like a gold pouch and it has a number like you have 300 gold, you have 1000 gold, whatever. Um, every single treasure chest just has gold so far. So there's no interest or excitement about what am I going to, am I going to get materials? Am I going to get weapons? No, there really is no gear. There's no like things like that or perks in that way. It's just gold. And you use gold to tear up your spells, to tear up your stats, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just kind of like, it's just like a, it's like a catch all currency that again, it's simple and it works, but I kind of wish there was a little bit more to it. Um, just so that had, had a little bit of excitement because it's kind of interesting where there's like there's like basic chests and then if you go to a secret area there's a gold chest but it just means it has more gold in it and I, it's just one of those things where it's like oh the flavor of it is a little bit kind of bland but it kind of fits with the vibe of the rest of the game in terms of not overcomplicating things just having something that works and is well understood and easy to digest so I'm okay with it but I, I kind of do wish there was a little bit more to that I do. I'm gonna ask you the same. Uh, uh, sorry, uh, just real quick. I'm gonna ask you the same question that I did two years ago with Ruben's story. Does this make you want to install League of Legends and play that and learn more about the core lore? Absolutely not. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I will say this game does do. Um, 
some things that are very clearly uh, for the benefit of the player in terms of uh, we, we bet that this person doesn't know league lore. So we're going to tell them, for instance, I said that you're playing as uh, you're playing as Silas. You end up stealing the magic from a character named Lux, who is a character that even I recognize that name. And then you meet uh, the character's brother named Garen. And basically, because you utilized Lux's magic to get out of jail and exposed her as a mage, Darren is very upset at you, and he's the first boss fight. So Lux and Darren are brothers, and they both have a bone to pick with Silas. But however, Darren says, the, the line is written like this, my sister Lux will never forgive you, or whatever. And it's like, that's not what they would say. If these right. characters already have rapport with the, the three of them, he would just say, Lux will never forgive you. He would not say, my sister Lux. I know I'm completely nitpicking, but it's one of those things that just kind of, it's one of my pet peeves, where it's like... Uh, you, my father, the king. It's like, yes, that's, we know you are the princess. It's like, why would people, these three characters have known each other for 15 years. Why would she, why would he introduce his sister as my sister Lux? He would just say Lux. I'd rather they just do that and allow context clues to fill the gaps, but they don't do that. And I know that's a complete nitpick, like Brian... Let that let that one slide. I'm like, all right, it's a nitpick, but it's it's. Oh, it, I know, but it's it's one of those things where it's like, okay, this is written in the understanding that there are people, mo many people playing this game that don't have any of the background, and of course, the game does tee you up a little bit. It gives you a bit of intro, but it's presumably very very abbreviated at a high level. So, what but the game should do is like for more context, go play League of Legends. <laughs> DM. Yeah, that's what the game should say. Like editors or translators know at the top. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah. So, uh, like I said, only a few hours in, but I really don't think there's a whole lot more to it. It's a very, it's it's a it's a very casual game, pick up and play. And it's and it's and it's priced, I think, at like twenty five or twenty eight dollars, something like that. So its price kind of reflects that. Um, and you know, I mean, it's kind of it's it's a nice break from playing some of our much much longer RPGs like Octopath Traveler two. Or um, I kind of earmarked a little bit of time here to talk about another game that I've been playing just a little bit of. This is a game we talked about last week, so I won't dwell on this for much more than like five or ten minutes. But last week, Josh, you introduced us to another April release, and that was War Tales. It was a game that I wanted to get to, but I hadn't quite last week. But since then, I have put about 20 hours into it so nice. obviously so mage seeker very breeze easy breezy game that i should hopefully be able to beat by the end of the weekend war tales like you kind of stated last week could get very very long not something you necessarily want to marathon through especially as a lot of other games are releasing um to, to tee it up just a tiny bit again like you said like you stated last week you kind of pick from a preloaded set of mercenaries with different kind of implied background. And then you are kind of set out into the world where there really is no clear overarching narrative to begin with, but you have kind of a collection of individual stories. Uh, the way I was describing it to Adam earlier this week is they're almost kind of like micro quests where you start yeah. out and you start out in a region of the world, you pull up your map and it'll, it'll explicitly say that this region has X many locations ranging from cities to buildings to towers to like an infested rat nest. And as far as I can tell, basically every location, not every location, but one per location will have some sort of some sort of micro quest assigned to it. Sometimes the micro quest is literally just kill the bandits here. Like the bandits have occupied this tower, defeat them and open the treasure chest, you win. But sometimes they are a little bit more involved where it's like 
hey, my uh, my sister ran off towards the direction of the windmill. Can you can you go find her and bring her back to me? Or the these uh, you go to a jail and they say our our prisoners escaped. Can you track them down? And then of course, once you do track them down, you usually have an option of either killing them, turning them in, or bargaining with them, letting them go free or whatever. And that's kind of this game in a nutshell. Even through 20 hours, there is no major overarching narrative. There are some narrative themes that tie together, but there's no like big bad. There's no central antagonist. There's no central plot line, at least yet. But it's, instead, it's more just general themes about, oh, there's refugees coming from this location. I forget the name of the city. It starts with a G. Um, but um, the, I don't yeah. quite remember, but I don't quite remember the name of the city, but it's because I haven't been there yet. I've only heard it mentioned. It's like, oh, OK, I wonder what's going on there. I bet there's a there's a lot of turmoil there. And then in the second region of the world, it's being kind of the, it's a farmland, but all these farmlands are being corrupted by like this invasive root species. And it's like, is this a magic spell? People are blaming each other. Like, how come we're like we're going to die if we can't we can't farm our crops? And you in this basically like a lot of the stories will tie into that problem. Um and I've actually really kind of enjoyed how this game is, it, it's in a lot of ways a very traditional CRPG, turn-based like the way that you described last week, um, very similar pace to a lot of the other turn-based games, but it's still in a way a little bit kind of pick up and play because you can pick it up, do a few little micro quests, like do a few little locations and then, and then turn it off uh, because you always kind of feel like you're making progress in terms of getting resources, getting better gear, recruiting new new team members i accidentally i did not realize like th this game you can you can catch wild animals yes so like i was fighting a group of boars and there was like regular mm -hmm. boars and then there was called like sovereign sow or something like that like the mama boar or whatever and then i got it weak and then when i went up to fight it because i had rope in my inventory it was like you can catch this if you want i'm like oh I'm going to catch this boar. What does that do? And now on my team, alongside mercenaries, I've just got a pig ally. It acts on its That's own. Awesome. It does what it wants. You can like eventually learn how to craft animal gear that makes it more effective. Um, I ended up getting two ponies, one of which was, which you mentioned this last time, one of which has like the saddlebags, makes you move faster on the on the world map. And the other one was like, do you want to turn this into a war horse? You can craft armor for it. It'll show up on the battlefield. It'll like the boar. It'll do what it's want, what it wants. And it's just always kind of fun. And it's, it's, a, it's a little bit like emergent storytelling where I'm having my characters like I have a tank. I have a I have a I have a brood. I have a like a rogue like character. And then all of a sudden the horse will just like come galloping in from the side and like gallop through someone <laughs> like an enemy, an enemy unit and take it down. Like, oh, thank you, horse. I wasn't expecting that, but I appreciate it. Um, so, yeah, the, the neat thing about that, too, is like that that system can get like deeper if you want to, because I started a co-op playthrough with two other friends and they're much more experienced at the game, have more time in the game than I that I do, and then we still have, our, our campaign is still ongoing, it's probably going to be a long thing. Mm -hmm. um, but, like, I've learned so much from them, like, as they've been, like, kind of playing the game, like, I kind of, like, take it, like, uh, like, they're kind of, like, the drivers of the of the campaign, while I'm just, like, the save data manager, <laughs> and just, like, and just, like, kind of seeing, like, you know, because you can, like, freely, like, roam around the map, but, like, you, but it's, it's all in a leash, so you start to, like, kind of stay together mm -hmm. for it, so you can't go do, actually go off to the four corners of the earth on your own but since like the game the game doesn't really have like an upper limit on like max party members like no as far as i can battle. tell you can yeah you can recruit you can recruit as many people as you can pay and feed yeah and uh, it's like it's crazy 
Yeah, so I think you can divvy up like the the amount of playable characters between yourself. So, like, say, like you have like fifteen people you 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 uh, field. Like each you can have like five under your wing, or like you can or, or you can like, transfer ownership like at, at camp, and then like one can be like managing like seven or eight, while someone's like two or three. If they want to be on the like, you know the, they don't want to manage too many people. But like like the the pet system, for example, is really interesting because like you say they act on their own, but like you know, but if you get like someone to like either like class it like beastmaster or or uh, or a profession, I'm not sure. But there's like a beastmaster aspect to it where you can actually start getting con- like direct control of those captured animals. And some of them have like bonuses depending on how many of the same type that you capture. Like if you capture three alpha wolves, for example, they'll get like a, a bonus of like p- plus fifty percent crit. Wow, you know, I did not to, know this. Like, but I, yeah, I, exactly. I, I, I had done some micro quests that like unlocked the assassin specialization, so I'm not surprised that that's a thing. But like, some of these micro quests give you just money or resources, or here's a new sword. But it's like you've unlocked the assassin. Like, holy shit, I've unlocked the assassin <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, like, exactly. I, 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 it, 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 it's like a like that game is like a nice treasure trove. Like surprises that you'll just like learn either organically through the game or like you'll just like be talking about it with someone or start like playing with someone. They'd be like that's crazy you know and they're and I, always talking about like you know what they're doing in their playthroughs and like i haven't messed with this too much but pretty much all of the quests in this game either story or side quests they interface with the game's systems itself for instance i i had a story quest in the second region that i went to where i had to kill this invasive like disease root species in order mm-hmm. to do that i had to have an alchemist which is one of the professions go to the alchemy table learn the recipe for the like the antidote find the materials used to make it which included like getting like some of the region specific wine and like distilling it with a certain other vegetable or whatever make have the alchemist actually make the item in my inventory go to the place and use it on the thing like you would any other item also like there's a system where like i mentioned in the example of bring these prisoners back to me like Catching prisoners is, it's not just unique to that quest. It's something you can just do. If you go to a jail, you buy chains, you go to a fight and you're fighting bandits or rogues or whatever, you get them weak. Instead of killing them, you can, for any human in the game, I believe, unless it's like a story one, capture them, have them in your party as prisoners. I think you can still deploy them as well. Um, They have a chance of running away from you unless you like build stockades in your camp take them back to the jail and sell them for uh, return them to the jailer for money. So it's just, it's just neat that basically none of the quests are cinematic in a way where it's like, this is bespoke to this quest. It's just, you can do this. You can capture prisoners. You can make these serums. You can train wolves. Like, An interesting thing about that too, is like, like in terms of like prisoners, like when you go to camp, like the position of the camp matters. So they're like, they're too far of fire, for example, they, they might run away in the middle of the night. When you're sleeping, or they might, or, or their condition might just worsen, which will right. degrade their value. And and there's also like some traits like for animals that like can like affect like your camp as well. Like say you captured like a, a wolf, but one of its traits is loud snorer. Like you actually have to position it away from like the campfire, away from everyone else, so it doesn't disturb them. I've I've actually I've actually had that happen with the boar. Yeah, where, where it's like. The boar has woken up. I I, na- I named some of the characters. Uh, I do this with XCOM type games or games like this where you just have a generic roster of characters. I named one Brian, one Adam, et cetera, et cetera. I didn't <laughs> use any of your names. And it was like the boar snored and woke Adam up. Their relationship has decreased <laughs> or whatever. Like I, I've got a boar to pick with. This. I got a bone to pick with this snoring boar because it woke me up in the middle of the night. 
Anyways, uh, I will say to, uh, so I'm pretty high on this game. It's just, it's something different and unexpected. I will say though, that it is kind of, it doesn't have a lot of fanciful fare to it. I asked you last week if it had any sort of fantasy elements to you and you said no. And it's very, very light. There's like the, there's like the ghost animals that show up at yeah, night. Yeah, I, I tried running to them too, but it's like, that, that's about the extent that I've seen. And then there's like the um, there's like the blighted rats, which are like grown to ginormous sizes, which is kind of oh. semi fancy because obviously. But the thing is, is that the game is very down to earth. It's very um, like there's no dragons burning down citadels uh, sort of things to it. So it doesn't have a lot of that like climactic punch to it. To me, that's I'm not bothered by that. I'm actually kind of enjoying that. It's a lot more grounded. The quests are I wouldn't say realistic, but they're they're in a way where they're just they're 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 minor little stories each and of themselves, even if they're not culminating to anything that's like meant to be the set piece of a movie. So I'm kind of enjoying the fact that it's just kind of low key um, and kind of just metered in that way. But I could see how some people might need a little more than that. They might need a little right. more motivation. I'm doing OK, but I could see other people being getting I could see other people dipping their toes in and getting a little bit bored. So. I'm, try, I'm just trying to play like devil's advocate there. Like someone who someone who would bounce off this game, why would they bounce off? Well, maybe they needed a little bit more punch or a little bit more something driving the plot a little bit more, which doesn't quite have that. I, I will say though, like for people who are like on the fence, I'm like, maybe like how is the co-op experience in this game? I, it is, it is, I, I love it so far. I've been loving the co-op experience uh, in this game with like two other friends. Like there, there's only, there's only maybe like, well, like, a few bugs here and there, like say some like some merchants don't work at times, so we have to save the game then reload our session. But it's all very um, easy to like rejoin everything, and uh, you know the the only thing that's like the biggest hurdle is like if someone has like a weaker machine, you have to wait for them to load into the map because sometimes you know for uh, slower PCs or less powerful PCs, it'll take like a bit to load it in the map, so you have to kind of wait for everyone to get in. But other than that, you know, it's been it's been kind of like pretty much when you get when it, they go into town, like. They're pretty much doing all the decision making in town. You can kind of like see in real time what they're doing in town because it goes through like from screen to screen and like following what they're doing. It's also funny, like sometimes not not for all mini games, but for some mini games, you can see like they're they're timing if they're off or not. So you can kind of like ridicule like your friends that they're like off the off the timing in some of the mini games. Sometimes it it, it doesn't like track the mini games that like what you're seeing on screen, but like it, it's a it's a pretty nice like co-op experience you, you never really get left out like you 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 feel like like you're always like working with each other because of how, how the way battles flow and the way that the gameplay kind of emerges from that game you always feel like all of you are like working and striving together for something instead of some instead of like the rest going on and like you're feeling left out or they're pushing forward too fast it's like no you're all you're really all in it together every every player matters mm -hmm. um in the experience so i think it's like a well-balanced experience no matter what skill level you are and and i i learned something new from them you know every time because they're so experienced about it and even then that it's they still have they still have fun with it because a lot of like funny stuff happens like for example it, it's it's we name all of the people that we meet and even the the the, the pets that we meet like uh, after other friends in it mm -hmm. so we have, we have a we have a friend um uh his screen name is Beansy and he's kind of like the he's kind of like the, the the fall guy in our group kind of like the jokester the one that you know we, we likely pick on he's like your group's he's like your fun. group's chow yes 
Um, yeah. <laughs> it was really funny one time because um, I, he was our archer and or not not an archer, but like he was someone that like he he uh, like a a, a a ranger that like threw a throw a, a throwing knife. But the throwing knife missed, and it hit someone at the back of the head. And like, I think he learned to trade cross-eyed. And then, so back at camp, like a few days later, it's like, it's like, okay, what are we gonna do about Beansy? I'm still pissed that he threw a, a like a throwing knife at the back of my head. What are we gonna do about this? And like, that's like one of those camp events that like, and then we took a screenshot of it and shared with our friend. We all laughed. They're like, what are we gonna do with Beansy? <laughs> and it was. Uh, I've had my archer. Uh hit an, uh, a friendly unit in the back of the head. So yeah, there is friendly fire. You got to be careful. Mm -hmm. And then the characters can learn traits based on what weapons they use in battle outcomes. Like I like one one of my guys took a hit, a critical hit from an enemy. Like it like wrecked him. Luckily, they uh -huh. don't die immediately, but he learned the trait like something that makes him take less damage from critical oh, hits yeah. <laughs> going forward. It's like, well, I'm glad you just took, I'm glad you just ate shit because now you're going to eat less shit going forward because apparently that <laughs> helped, that helped train your body at how to, how to eat critical hexes from great axes. And I know we're over the 10 minute mark that I said that I stated here, but oh, well, it's a, it's a fun game. That's kind of surprised me. I will, I will say the only, one of the other negatives that I have, and I've gone up on like the steam forums to see how prevalent this is is that i do have like hitching problems especially with some of like the mini games but like every like every two minutes or so i'll have like a, a second hitch um and it's um, whenever that happens i'm like oh crap is something wrong with my computer do i have to finally upgrade and then I, I go to the steam forums and there's like threads about lots of people having issues with the hitching so it's like all right it's not just me um but it, it is a little bit frustrating especially with like some of the mining and blacksmith yeah games, which I've been having that problem too. Like one of my friends suggested, like yeah, like uh, booting it up like uh, through OpenGL um, and uh, modifying it through that. And they said that, that it helps quite a bit with the, the hitching problem mm -hmm. if you launch it at OpenGL. I have to look. I have to remind myself to do that as well and look at how you do that. And I saw some people say like reduce the number of saves games you have. Have only one save game that works better. I'm like that seems yeah. like superstition, but. I had the exact same thing happen with Pillars of Eternity 2, where I had a, lot, a huge number of saves and that slowed down my game. And I'm like, all right, I'll be able to stick to two saves. Uh, I don't know. I'm willing to try anything, but hopefully, hopefully it's something the developers are aware of and um, can address. But anyways, uh, I like like you stated, I'll probably keep poking at this um, for the next long while because it seems like it's quite a beefy game. Like I'm 20 hours in and I'm almost done with the second region. My understanding is that there's six regions. So do some math. I'm going to guess it's like a 60 hour game minimum. Yeah. Uh, well, I won't say, I, I won't say minimum, but like I, there's certain people who are like, I'm, I've already had 300 hours in this game from early access. I'm like, well, it's a long game, which depending on how thorough you are or how much like you like to, you know, role player or, or go slow or take your time, probably, probably incredibly variable how long it takes, but long game regardless. We only have one other game explicitly listed to talk about here at the starting point of our podcast, unless mm. anyone wants to chime in with any surprises. Nope. All right. I don't know how to introduce this one, Josh. Uh, well, okay. I guess I will introduce it. Okay. How do I serve this up? So back this January, there was, there was a game that people have started slowly been talking about as time has gone on throughout this year. They're like, this is a surprisingly good RPG despite the context of it so the the game that they were talking about is demon uh, what's it called demon's roots it is an rpg maker game 
that has 18 plus content, you know, that's a, it's a very popular on Steam. That's very popular uh, in that circle, in that community these days of just like releasing a lot of uh, RPG maker games of varying quality uh, that have uh, 18 plus content that sometimes you can get through like a, a, a patch on like the publisher's site to like install the, the, the quote unquote, the good stuff to make it, you know, mm-hmm. the more complete version. Um, we're talking about rants for a second. So, the, but they said, though, the, despite this, Demon's Roots is actually like a really good game. I'm like, okay, well, I'm I'm a person that's open minded. That's never really stopped me from playing these kinds of games. If it's a good game, and you're saying it's a good game, and like, there's a lot of people that can vouch for it. You know, uh, the the Steam reviews. I'm like, okay, this is something I want to get around to. But then, some people, the 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 true fans, uh, were like. If you really want to appreciate this game, you need to go play the developer's previous game. The developer of this game is Quick Not or Quick Nail Aristocrat, and their previous game is called King Exit, and that was released back like in 2017. It used to be on Steam. Used to be on Steam. Um, it was t- is no longer available on the Steam Store. Um, Demon's Roots Roots was. Uh, published by Kagura Games and King Exit was published by Paradise Project. Something happened between the developer and the publisher for King Exit. Uh, from what I, from what the little research that I, you know, d- did on it, and like there's some sort of disagreement. So the whole thing was basically just called off and delisted, and then like it's just, that game's just like been in oblivion. Uh, but it's like okay, well. If I if I before I get to Demon's Roots and people are saying you'll get more out of this if you've played this game, I'm like, okay, I am I am the type of person that's like, okay, I will go play the previous game no matter what if I'm gonna do this properly. And if, uh, so I had to go, you know, through some um, right, roundabout I, I need, means. I, I need okay, some teeing up. What the new game okay. is called? What the de- Okay, the new game is called Demon's Roots. The previous game is called King Ex- Exit. So Demon's Roots came out this January, but you were playing Demon's Exit, which came out. Nice. Okay, I am playing King Exit that right. came out that that originally released in 2017 on Steam. I don't know if it's a much older than that, but um, it it was listed on Steam on, on on 2017. But you know, since you can no longer get it on Steam, and I'm just like coming into this game, you know, holy blind. I'm like, all right, where where can I, you know, get this game? So obviously I had to go through some back channels, let's say, to obtain this game because you can't really get it anywhere else. Uh, from the infinite, from so you can't really get the English release anywhere else. You can you can go through the DL site for the Japanese release, but the doesn't English. You can you, you can you know. Uh, just I'm like, looking at their catalog. The only thing I know from this uh, publisher, or it's just Saya no Uta. That's the only thing I know from here. Oh. Okay, well, yeah, it's not, it's not the same, uh, yeah, but I, that's no, very not, not the same kind of yeah. genre. <laughs> yeah. So with that out of the way, I am now a little over ten hours into King Exit. I, I've been. I don't know why. Why I, I I'm still playing it. I. How do I say this? I know I've been saying I should go get caught up on Jedi Fall. I mean, I replay my Jedi Fall or replay through or do this, do that to get, you know, to get prepped up for the next uh, few months for these games. And I'm here I am just fucking 
fucking IQ is fucking like zero at this point uh, playing this game. And um, it is this English uh, release that I'm playing of this game. It, it is, I shit you not, it is one of the worst localized things I've ever played in a video game. This might be like top three worst localizations <laughs> ever. It is so hard to fucking read and um and every every sort of sin you could commit in localization is in this game. Whether it's like just awkwardly phrased sentences, whether it's like unlocalized text, whether there's like just like text parsing that can't fit into like text windows. Like I sent Brian a, a private screenshot, one asking permission to talk about this game. And two, because I just had to like share with someone what like how some of the text is like fucking in this game. Brian, describe one of the screenshots that I uh, sent you earlier that you were trying to read the text in it. So the first couple examples that Josh sent me is just bad dialogue where uh, where it's just like why you didn't participate in battle just now. Or, or something like that. But then he sent me a picture of a menu screen showing equipment. And like it's it shows it's pretty basic. It looks like maybe like a like a Super Nintendo era RPG because it's RPG maker, right? It's like, all right, weapon, shield, head, body, accessory, spiked wooden shield, wooden wand, uh, cursed amulet. And then there's like this, there's a shield in the inventory that has like 10 words of text crammed into a tiny little text box. And it says in like super narrow, like aerial, you know, aerial narrow font, like aerial mega narrow font, dragon scale, small shield, underscore, a small shield made of dragon scale. <laughs> it's just like, I can't even read it. This looks like a bunch of vertical lines. Uh, that doesn't make any sense. Like, why Why would you do this? Why not just call it dragon scale shield? I don't know. But uh, I, so, so like the fact that it's not only just uh, a very rough translation, but just quirky things like that. I appreciate it on some level. Okay, go go for it, child. I was going to say, you know the way that you posted those screenshots? I was thinking, you know, is this like, is this a Chinese publisher, by the way? I don't, I, I, I didn't look into the Paradise Project publisher outside of like the disagreement that they had. I don't, I don't know. I don't know anything about them beyond that. Because, you know, nobody uses the line brother a lot unless it's like in Chinese. You know, like when you're friendly with somebody, they always call you like brother of some kind. They'll be like, hey, it's like even my dad knows this guy as a friend. They call him like brother way or something like that you know mm -hmm. but, so i'm thinking like is this like from a chinese publisher because it, like people in china don't really know the idea of good localization though this is machine translate i think it works I mean, and chow yeah chow is uh, referencing one of the screenshots that i also posted to brian that i've now publicly revealed to the greater the panel here is like in one of in one of the sequences early sequences for this game you get introduced to uh, a party member uh, he, he's like he's like a black dude. He's bald. He's like kind of like the tank of the group. He's like, he's cool. But then like the like the wizard, the mage, like the way that they phrase this, like the the, the first time that you meet him, it's like the, this mage says, "Black brother, why did it? Why you didn't participate in the battle just now?" I was just like, <laughs> it's like, it's like I, I, it like that. I was just thinking like in Chinese terms, it'll be like, uh, "Hey, it's like you know he's probably seeing this guy in a black armor, and he's just trying to be friendly by saying black brother." If if that was in Chinese. That's why it's mm. why I translated this awkwardly. Yeah, like like I guess to to properly sum up like the the, the English script, this script, it's like it's it's worse than machine translated text, modern machine translation. I'd say 
This is oh. this is definitely run through like machine translation, like the earlier forms of it, like a decade ago, if not more. This is um, like going to a Chinese restaurant in China, and you look at the Englishman. It'll be like duck on pig something something. You'll be like, what the hell is this shit? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's more along those lines. Maybe maybe a tad worse in quality than that. But yeah, it's it. I could get the, the the gist of it after like years of like properly training myself to like kind of read these these kinds of things but it is you would be better off running through like the, the english script or like a machine translation these days and you'd probably get a better result but anyway i I digress on that I'd like so the game is basically the main story in the present time in this game revolves around this prison that geo luis is sent to geo luis is this female hero of the humans that like it's like it's like the famous war hero from their uh, war with the Asmodians, which like kind of like the demon kind of in that world, like several decades ago, Th- there is something that happens to her. Like 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 in the at the very beginning of the game, when you start finally controlling Gio Luis, that she's like living a peaceful life. She's uh, you know running an orphanage. She's like you know friendly with like the the local townspeople. Everything's at peace, etc. Then one day, out of nowhere, everything turns to shit. Um, the the peace of the kingdom. Uh, it basically is in uh, shambles because someone frames Gio Luis by sending a letter to her knights, and like basically like the just kind of the, the the her knights are basically the the, the main force of the uh, like of security in that kingdom. And like, look, I, I'm not a fucking storyteller, so I don't know why this makes sense, but I guess in this world this makes sense. That they frame her because she sends a letter to all her knights saying, "Go meet me at this place. It's very important." Um, please everyone come meet me at this place. And all her knights and all the security in that kingdom are, are basically gone from the kingdom that day, which, you know, exposes a big, big, big security security vulnerability. Whatever the conspirators are in that game, I assume they're going to get to it at the, uh, you know, at the end of the game, like exposing the full truth and whatnot about that incident. They kind of just like go ham on the kingdom like just basically killing everyone and everything that geolise has ever loved and built up all the villagers um uh, all, all the all, all the, the the few remaining security guards even her orphanage they burn it down you know a lot, all the people in it basically die um and they all frame this incident uh, on geolise because you know apparently she sent that letter that's how the trial process went she goes to prison She's kind of like, kind of like giving up on life, you know. Um, she's kind of like, uh, obviously, a lot of things happen over there. So the main objective of the of the game in the present time is your Gio Luis. You need to get out of this prison. That uh, why I say that in that manner is because there are some there are some playable segments uh, when she sleeps, where uh, you get flashbacks of the war with Asmodians with her and her party. At like several like key moments in that in that war, kind of giving you more backstory on like what was the war like, what did that entail, what sacrifices were made, what what, what were the Asmodians doing, what did that uh, what was the toll like physically and mentally on those people back then? Like, because Asmodians did like some fucked up shit. Like they could brainwash humans. Once a human was brainwashed, they couldn't ever escape from that. Um, so a lot a lot of fucked up shit happens. Uh, in that, and you know, um, and, and that, that's kind of where you get like your first taste of like the real, like, art, like 
party gameplay in that game until because you don't get your quote-unquote real second party member in the present day until like several hours like two to three hours into the game because there's like a lot of like lead up to that second party member um, my question is what what is the relationship with this with demon roots is it the prius game is that it? I, I, okay so apparently there's like a, a, a th- th- this game serves as a, as a prequel and i i guess maybe some parts of this are, a, are maybe a sequel to demon's roots i don't know exactly sure but they, they uh, from uh, from what i can t- can call uh, from what i can tell right now it, it does share like the same world because there are some like the sci-fi roots of like or, or the sci-fi aspects to this uh king exit game like eventually you'll get a party member that that's a basically basically an isekai party member that like you just find her and she's from another world and you know that's that, there seems to be like a parallel world aspect to uh demon's roots and king exit in king exit you find it out you know quite a bit later while in demon's uh root demon's roots um it's kind of like one of your party members that's introduced introduced to you from the get-go as like an fbi investigator from another world you know it's like okay so the, the so i think there's like the the asmodians that you learn about in this game i think they're involved also in demon's roots as well so they, they do seem to have like you know commonalities and they do share the same world i don't know if they i don't know if demon's roots event like references like the the, the events of the king exit directly or not that's something for me to find out i guess and I get around to it, but people seem to really like Demon's Roots, and I'm like, all right, well, if I'm gonna play this game, people are like, you'll like, you'll like it more from playing King Exit. I'm like, okay, I'm willing to go through. I'm willing to fucking just turn my brain off, maybe like get it to negative IQ potentially, and just get through this game. And that's not to say that I'm not enjoying it. It's like there are some interesting aspects to this game, like gameplay wise. In terms of like what sort of like functions party members serves, like for example, you'll eventually get a party member that's like literally like a fucking uh, knight that there's nothing in there. It's like it's kind of like a, a full suit of armor, but there's like no one inside, and you don't really know what the fuck is up with this deal, what the deal with this armor knight. But he has the an ability to like shield everyone from like the from attacks. Like uh, he has like a, a skill that lets all that redirects all enemy incoming enemy attacks uh to him and he also has the added added benefit or they ra- rather i don't know if it's a a, a, a guy or a girl but uh, they also have the uh, ability since there's no one inside there's like there's no human inside uh, that they cannot take status ailments so like anything like para- paralysis poison um you know conf- uh, anything like that that would like kind of affect the human body biology it doesn't apply to them because there's no one inside so it does has interesting mechanics around that like that but they're like kind of weak to magical attacks you have to kind of think about like the party uh, composition of enemies and see if that's a valid tactic and then there's like the the isekai girl that you get has like a really really powerful like ultimate skill that like kind of it generates so much tp when you use it and then inflicts that the hemorrhage uh status which is like a basically like a mega bleed I was basically I was going to ask like in like a concluding remark like so yeah. so you've heard that Demon's Roots is surprisingly good. I mean, I, I, that's really that's uh, it. Oh, uh, I thought you were going to ask me a question. <laughs> I don't like. Well, no, well, I guess just like you haven't fallen off the you haven't fallen off the wagon yet. So I mean, I, guess, I, 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 I mean, I, I'm here, right? Like I'm basically at the end of the game, so I might as well just finish oh, so it. So, just, so it's not yeah. that long. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm basically you know it, uh, pretty much at the end, of, like the home stretch. So. I'm here, and then eventually I'll get the demon suits, and then I'll become 
I don't know, maybe an appreciator, a true fan. So why why did this game got removed besides like age content? I mean, there's age. Co- uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it, 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 yeah, it didn't get removed as age content. It it, it got removed because there's apparently a, a disagreement between the developer and the previous publisher because the publisher of Demon's Roots is now Skagura Games, and then the publisher of King Exit back then was Paradise Project. So there's a disagreement between Paradise Project and um, what was the name of the developer again? It was Picknell Aristocrat. There was a disagreement between them apparently, which basically got it delisted from Steam and like all, and that was like only the English, the official English English release. Of that game, so there's basically no legal way to obtain the English version of King Exit because Steam was like the only storefront that sold it and had it. Fuck it, I don't know. Well, but thank yeah. you, Josh, for giving uh-huh. us a look in on your journey into RPG Maker games on Steam. I don't know how I feel about like having this like be on the public record forever, but fuck it. And with that, I don't know any way to elegantly go into topic shoutouts. Hooray. We do. We talk about Advance Wars. Well, I mean, we I was going to mention that, of course, we have a few features up on the site. So we'll go ahead and go through the feature shout outs before we go into the news. And one of those is that Paul did, up, did put up a review for the finally released Advance Wars 1 Plus 2 Reboot Camp. Obviously, it was originally intended to release like a year ago, just now got is releasing this week. Has anyone else dove into this game? In addition I to dive into the original. I, I heard that the uh, the Switch version, there's one issue. You cannot play the second game unless you beat the first game. I and heard that that wasn't true. Games. Like, I heard some people say that, but then I heard some people push back against that. I haven't played it myself, but, like, I did hear yeah. that you can't play Advance Wars 2 without playing 1 in Reboot Camp. Yeah, you had to beat 1 before you could beat 2, or yeah. before you could play 2, apparently. That's from one of our mutuals and staff said. Because the last mission was actually very hard. Because the last boss has this ridiculous ability that makes it re- very hard to beat him unless you're pretty good at the game. So CD said you couldn't, but then Paul said you could. Yeah, that's what I was saying. That it was um, uh, it was kind of up in the air. So obviously, so we won't make a declarative statement here. Uh, but I will say that um, Paul's review, he thought pretty highly of it. I don't know if he had played the game before or not. But we have that up on the site as well. And um, I played a little bit of Advanced Force 1 back on the GBA. And I didn't really click with it. So I never really kept with the series. So I kind of have just limited interest in Reboot Camp. But maybe I'll poke at it before the end of the year if I find space. But I never, I didn't quite like the um, like the unit summoning mechanics of how it worked in, this, in the original game. But obviously, independent of my opinion, it's always nice to have the series revisited in a modern format that can be, you know, accessible to a lot of people who do really love the series, um, including newcomers like Paul, who thought pretty highly of the game. Uh, and we have that review up on the site. In addition to the Advance Wars 1 plus 2 Reboot Camp review, uh, we did put up a formal official review for Atelier Rise of 3. Um, we won't dwell on this too long be of course, because, of course, James has already previously provided his thoughts on Rise of 3. However, I do just want to make sure I give it its due. Um, Nathan, who got kind of a late code, and also it's a game that is very long, uh, was able to finalize and put up his review of Atelier Rise of 3. And Nathan thought very, very highly of the game. He scored it a 9. He did call out the open world uh, nature of the game with its very large explorable areas. He really did enjoy a lot. So for a very positive review on Rise of 3, uh, we have that up on the site from from Nathan. In addition to, of course, our previous podcast discussions on the game held by uh, James. 
Uh, James also has uh, at least one feature up on the site. He's usually good for one or two features a week uh, that he puts up about games that he's played throughout the throughout the year. Um, he put up a feature for a game that came out a couple months ago that both he and I played a fair bit of, and that's, of course, Wild Hearts. So we've discussed this game back when it released in February. Uh, you did put up an article basically about like Wild Hearts two months later, effectively. Uh, do you have any like comments that you want to put here about two months in how you feel about Wild Hearts, about its technical issues, about the small bits of content that they've added to the game? Yeah, so basically with my original review, and I have updated uh, the score because of uh, oh, I didn't know that. and whatnot. Uh, with the original review, I noted I noted that there was that I liked the game. I thought it was really, really good. But a combination of some severe graphical issues with like AMD, R&D and A3 cards that was not fixed for like before launch and was to be blunt, like <laughs> very, very like uh, concerning for anyone with like epilepsy or whatnot. Uh, and two, like just overall poor performance across the board. I uh, gave ended up giving it a seven. Yeah, Wild Hearts was kind if, of my like our centerpiece of poor PC ports uh, of the spring era or late fall, yeah. early spring. Well, it wasn't even so much the PC port itself, because from my understand, the performance on consoles wasn't much better. But um, yeah, it wasn't in a good state. Uh, but two months in, um, it's still not perfect, but performance has slowly and steadily improved. And uh, like there's been bug fixes. We no longer have those like flashing lights. Uh, there's uh, more content now, like the game already had a decent, I'd say, end game loop. But especially now, it feels like it's kind of like. Grown into its shoes, so to speak, there's like more monsters to fight. There's more, uh, well, more kimono, I should say, more uh, mm -hmm. volatile kimono that keeps uh, getting uh, new content, whatnot, like the most recent patch that came out after uh, this uh, post was uh serial hunts so you can hunt like a bunch of different uh, kimonos in sequence or something like that uh anyways it's in a much better state it's at the point now where if i know that you have a strong enough pc i could recommend it uh it's still not perfect but i have uh, bumped the score from uh, seven to an eight because i know I, one thing i i played i played a little bit of that too like uh like uh i got it the uh last week or something and i played a good chunk like kind of like a, a good chunk of the very first like you know I, I beat barely beat king tusk so like i played a good chunk of it but you know wild hearts another game that i've delayed due to you know just much better games you know hey <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong but i know one thing that one thing that james called out in his uh in his update feature here is that you kind of do give credit to ea for the crossplay capabilities of this game, because that's something that other series have not incorporated. But have you, I'll put it this way, have you played this game uh, with the updates in the last couple of months in co-op to to kind of experience that yourself? Because I know when the review yes. was written, it was pre-release, so co-op was a little bit dicey. Oh yeah, like to be clear, like the main reason I uh, wrote this up is I like returned to Wild Hearts for like a couple of days and played a, like a good number of hours and like seeing that the uh, multiplayer was still completely active two months in, even though the game itself kind of had like a bit of a rough start. It's like that would not be the case. I am like certain it would not be the case if it wasn't for crossplay. I'm like 
convinced that the game would have dropped like dropped off a cliff if if there wasn't that uh crossplay uh built in. I will say that um I didn't pl- I played the game. I haven't touched it with the updates though. I've kept both Wild Hearts and Monster Hunter Rise installed because I endeavor to one day get back to them for the updates. Uh, but I will say that when I was playing through Wild Hearts back in February, early March, um, the boss that I struggled with the most was Amaterasu, who in this game is like a large like Phoenix slash Peacock type creature. That game or that boss, like I played through in co-op several times to get materials. And like there are like there is a community in this game and like you can get co-op fights, at least at the time. And sounds like continuing to this day, like a pretty healthy community for that game. And it is a lot of fun in co-op. So I'm just I just want to echo your statements to the extent that I can, having not revisited the game since launch. So it's really it's really heartening to hear that that's still the case. I, I really do hope that the performance continues to get improved because I do think like uh, this might be a bit of a hot take. Uh, I think if it wasn't for the technical issues, I probably enjoy Wild Hearts more than Monster Hunter Rise. Yeah, I, 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 I just, it, it kind of it kind of feels like, oh, man, I really still really feel bad this because I think with the proper first impressions, I've actually like launched in a really good state off the bat. It would have had like it feels like it really have would have much a much 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 bigger community than it yeah yeah if if it if it had been delayed by like it, you can tell like based off the original release time frame that it was like oh no we need to get it out before the end of the fiscal year or whatnot or something like that and then if it had been delayed maybe 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 the current state wouldn't have been quite enough it would have been a lot better but maybe it wouldn't have been enough but if it had been delayed until like next month or june or something like that i think it would have been in a much better state uh not just for the fact that it it would be like ideally more polished but also this releasing in february hot off Lost, of uh yeah. monster hunter rise on playstation and xbox maybe wasn't the best move might have been better to give it a bit more yeah. uh, space I don't know if I enjoyed Wild Hearts more than Rise, like inherently or intrinsically, but I think the main thing that the reason why I haven't stuck to Rise as much as I did to World, because World, I ended up putting like 800 hours in Rise. I think I'm barely over 100, which is still a lot, but I've not like stuck to it as much. And that's just because it was too familiar. Wild Hearts, I just appreciated the things that it does differently, especially with the Karakuri and the like the, the small building mechanic. So I think I've enjoyed Wild Hearts more than Rise simply for the novelty of it and the fact that the systems underneath are really engaging and really fun. And I, it that, really makes me miss when like there were other spin-off of Monster Hunters, uh but, like especially on like on, on handheld like on PSP and Vita. Like, I when they even... tried like when they tried like you know, different stuff to make them like, you know, their own craft their own identity like i think i think about freedom wars and soul sacrifice i feel you know? bad for like omega force here a bit because i feel like it's kind of like a similar situation with like token and two that game was legitimately really really good but it didn't do su- super hot and then it just they it didn't get like an expansion or anything like that i think if token and two had gotten an expansion you would hear you would you would have seen a lot more people these days like talking about how good that game was. Yeah, it's it's definitely because like those games came out before Monster Hunter World, and now because of Monster Hunter World, like that Monster Hunter formula is like very popular again. 
Yeah. Um, so it's just like if you like imagine if like the like those games like like got like one more like definitive release and like got polished up and got and then you know and were put on modern platform. Like I yeah. think that like the the resurgence of that would be like it'd be pretty glorious because now that like you know people have a craving on that monster hunter formula and I, I think a lot of these a lot of people would appreciate like the ways that they they varied that up. Yeah, I will say that apparently Wild Hearts did at least chart in, I wanted to say MPD, it's Circana now, I think. Mm. So at least in the US, it's done all, well, I don't know what their expectations were, but it seems like it hasn't done as poorly as maybe folks were thinking. I don't know. Uh, it depends on EA's expectations. It's hard to say. Oh, this was a, like 100% a AAA game. So it's like, you gotta expect that they probably want to sell like yeah, 10 million, I, ideally. But yeah, so I, I, it's, 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 yeah I, it's one of those things that like, maybe like the number seems high to us, but for EA is like, I don't know. Uh, how, how dare the game only sell 3 million? And for what it's worth, <laughs> I, I don't know if we've ever gotten an official sales update for Wild Hearts, but basically you know you never know quite you know based on the we we cover such a wide genre of games here where it's like there's some series if they hit five hundred thousand, we are celebrating in the streets and then there's some series where it's like uh, i know a lot of people have been having some like concern i say concern in very very big air quotes about final fantasy 16 pre-orders relative to 15 things like that like obviously there's always different scales based on the series the publisher etc what was EA's expectations for Wild Hearts? I don't think we have they, any idea. This game, <laughs> this game probably got greenlit when uh, EA saw that Monster Hunter World sold twenty million copies. Yes, we are. We live in a post Monster Hunter World world. Yeah. And more and more on Monster Hunter later in a in a kind of surprising fashion. Uh, and the last feature I do want to call out before we go into the main news is that, of course, uh, in earlier this month. One of the bigger releases for for the site is that the Final Fantasy Pixel remasters have finally, expectedly, made their way to console. So they are now available on PlayStation and Nintendo Switch. Of course, our site Switch specialist, Cullen Black, made sure to cover these remasters on Switch. Um, to no surprise to anyone, he is enjoying the fact that he can play Final Fantasies 1 through 6 on Switch quite a big, quite a lot. However, he has stated that he ha like he has put up a feature on the site that basically is celebrating the release on Switch, but with a surprising kind of caveat that there are some still kind of like performance issues that are a little bit unexpected, specifically with like scrolling and hitching. When I was reading through Colin's preview of the Pixel Remasters on Switch, I was a little bit surprised to read that. Like, oh, I didn't realize that this was a thing, but I guess it is that these things kind of have a few performance issues. Not, so not major on PC, ones. On PC, these games kind of also have these issues, but you can, you can sort of uh, strong arm your way through it if you have a strong enough pc and you're running it at high frame rates yeah. for this yeah where the st where the stuttering isn't so obvious but on a switch you can't do that so in some ways it's almost worse you and know he, i'm just taking his word for it based on what he's what, what he was telling me um and it didn't and, you it know, didn't seem to affect well, the Collins way that he phrased this the way that he phrased this article of his was um, the remasters or these pixel remasters aren't perfect, but he's thrilled to be playing them. So he's like really happy with the games, like overall, just basically admitting there are some issues here and there. Um, and I, some people really took some big offense to that. 
and like i don't know what did you want him to say these are perfect <laughs> like they're not perfect um and i don't think i think it would have been really i think it would have been foolish to try to claim or aim for the fact to make them perfect because everyone wants something different right um he was just saying like the font is still a little bit weird there's still some performance issues he said he personally didn't care too much about the extra content but also just kind of like you know why not have it sort of thing i think um, the only extra content i like is probably the ff5 extra content there was just some so, extra so, and stuff. I, I like so, the ff2 extra content but that's it that's so it's so all of course, very so of course that, so of course that's the tried and true um conversation from before about how these pixel remasters do not include the additions of the games as they released on GBA or or DS. So obviously, some of these games like Final Fantasy One and Two have had several editions that are represented here in the Pixel Remaster, but they don't have like the extra post post game stuff specifically yeah, from and, the GBA version. And there's a lot of people who like replied to the article, basically saying like they clearly didn't read the the article; they're just replying to the tweet. Basically saying, like, extra content is trash. How could you really want it? And Cullen literally said in his article, like, I don't care too much about this stuff. But, you know, if you did, they're not here. That's basically all he said. Yeah. So clearly people weren't actually reading. You know, that's uh, how a big, so, big surprise. People don't read articles. Yeah. People, that's how this world is. It's they don't care about what's in the article. They just read the headline then look at the review scores. It's like, why did you give this game a trash score? Well... I said it high in the review, but they don't read that. So I, I mean, I, feel, I guess I appreciate people being forthcoming. It's like I don't really read reviews; I just scroll down for the score whenever I hear them. Like, well, I guess you're honest. <laughs> thanks. Well, to be honest, I don't read people's reviews either. I just ask. This is... <laughs> I just thanks, Chow. Thank you for your honesty. This is all Cullen said about the extra content. This is it. Lastly, these versions of the games do still lack the bonus content that they received in the GBA releases. Some might feel this makes these far from definitive, and I think that's a fair assessment. These seek to preserve the original versions of the games on offer, but I, I do think if there was a time to add that content back in, it would be now. I personally do not miss that content, as I'm not one to care for doing post-game challenges, but I get the sentiment. That's it. He's doing you a favor, Chow. He's reading it to you out loud, because you're not reading it yourself. <laughs> um, well, this is why I couldn't get the passing grade. Yeah, of course, those are out on the other consoles now. They've included the like EXP multiplier, uh, and that hasn't uh, been that hasn't been backported yet to the PC version, right? No. Nope, I also so. heard that you can uh, replace the font too. You can just download yeah, the font, just paste it on your SD card, and boom, done. That's pretty sick, actually. <laughs> so, so these new releases do have an updated font, as quote unquote. RPG site reported uh, a few months back, but but apparently like the the new updated English font is still eh, to a lot of people. But people I have already managed. Fix nothing. Uh, okay, uh, can you imagine how much shit we would have gotten if they didn't update the font? <laughs> wow, oh, man. <laughs> We, we, we'll yeah. be known as fake news site. Well, well we we know so we know who we'd care to. Who we would never never let it let it live down. But, uh, I have a pro tip for everybody: when you're playing Final Fantasy VI, make sure you put on that four times EXP multiplier right away and grind a bunch. No, idiot. Absolutely. All right, and with that, we will go into the news section. Um, this news section is quite light this week but i forgot to tease 
this major headline, the first thing we're going to talk about today. I can't believe I forgot to tease this one. And this was kind of a surprise. And that is, is that this upcoming week, we will get the final DLC for the Xenoblade Chronicles 3 expansion pass. We expected to have a Torna-like expansion content at some point before the end of the year. However, it was announced by Nintendo that Xenoblade Chronicles 3 Future Redeemed will launch on April 25th. So within a week and alongside released three days of this of, of this uh, podcast recording. Yeah, we're recording this on the 22nd. By the time you're listening to this, this might already be out. So the Xenoblade Chronicles 3 final DLC, at least I, ostensibly the final one, is we'll, we will be talking about playing it literally next week, which I think is earlier than anyone expected. Just the cadence of this DLC has just kind of been really quite quick. Uh, and I don't think that, any- but like we were in like full Zelda mode. Like they had the Zelda gameplay demonstration. They had the Zelda final trailer. It's coming out in like two or three weeks. I, I, I personally was just expecting like Nintendo's going to be, you know, Advanced Wars is out. That was a Nintendo game. We're all in on Zelda. Like, I didn't expect to hear anything about Xenoblade 3 until after Zelda was yeah, out. Yeah. But then we're in like full Zelda mode. And then all of a sudden, nope, this will be out two weeks before Zelda. It's also, it's also, it's also caught us off guard because we thought this would be like coming out like around the Torna time frame. So we'd like, we thought it'd be like you know, later this year, kind of like Torna was. And like, it just kind of, it's kind of catching me off guard, like how quick some of like the DLC is coming out for some of these recent. I played the Fire Emblem DLC uh, this last week. It's not very good. I don't think anyone liked that DLC, to be honest. But with uh, it's just like, okay, I guess that's it for the Fire Emblem DLC. Yeah, you know, like, it's yeah, it's, it's, it's less about the quality and more like, wow, these things are just coming out fast, huh? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot to delve into. This is this is crazy <laughs> they what they uh, revealed about this DLC. So what you gotta Z- do, Josh? This comes out the day before Honkai Star Rail. <laughs> well, let, 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 let's, uh, let, let's let Brian uh, describe what we saw. So obviously we have a three-minute trailer detailing this DLC, and there is a lot in it. And I've watched the trailer about three times. I know certain people, like mega fans, have probably combed through this trailer to an extent that I can't, don't have the patience for. But so this trailer introduces something like six characters, some of which we expected and some of which we didn't. Um, of course, we ha- we kind of already anticipated based on the initial teaser. So we got a little bit of a teaser when the Wave 3 DLC released that we have kind of adult versions of Shulk and Rex in this trailer. We have a, a lot of insinuation about Alvis's position as some sort of antagonist. There is some footage of this trailer that is showcasing combat against fog creatures, which is a tie back to Xenoblade Definitive Edition Future Connected, which is something I don't know if we expected to see here. Because in Future Connected, those that played that, like the the, the final antagonist there, I guess I guess this kind of goes without saying, and I'll make sure that there's a, that this is time stamped. There are going to be kind of general open spoilers here. I'm not going to deliberately tie talk about how Xenoblade Chronicle 3 ends, but this is kind of something where a lot of this discussion kind of... It's hard to talk about without talking about like open spoilers. It, for all th- this suggests that you have already played Xenoblade Chronicles 3, right? So One, two, and three, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. so I remember when Future Connected came out and the antagonist was kind of like this nebulous fog beast 
is like, what is this? I remember some people were like disappointed, like that it didn't. When Future Connected released, I remember there's certain people that wanted it to tie together one and two, and it really didn't do that. However, it looks like we had Future Connected, and now we have Future Redeemed here for Xenoblade Chronicles 3, which seems to be doing what people were hoping that would do. This, the- this is really funny, right? Because when Future Connected came out, we're like, oh, it's going to tie back into three, like like three, the main game. Or at least one and two together. But it didn't uh-huh. really do that. But so, now we have this, which literally just features Shulk and Rex. I almost, for some reason, I keep wanting to say Shulk and Ryan. I'm like, no, Ryan, unfortunately, is <laughs> <laughs> not here. But Ryan Shulk is and a Rex. family man now. <laughs> yeah, but we, okay, so we have, we have an adult Shulk, we have an adult Rex. The, the, um, the main protagonist here, uh, we had, we had we had identified him during the teaser, and we thought like is it's a character with dark hair and a ponytail. Like, is this some version of Noah? But no, his character his name is Matthew. Uh, we see in this trailer for Future uh, Redeemed that he is he is pitted against the antagonist N due to N killing Matthew's grandpa. He calls him Granddad. We are introduced to a few other characters. I'm not going to go through them all here, but uh, another major character of this DLC is Niall, who is Matthew's sister, um, who is somehow pitted also against N. And this is seemingly set before the events of Xenoblade 3, based on the characters present and the... Um, and this is kind of what we predicted. Based, this... on, based, on, based on the history of the city in Xenoblade Chronicles 3. Um, now, interestingly enough... The character that is very clearly Elvis has not been definitively definitively declared to be named Elvis. He is named an unnamed character who Shulk recognizes, though it's clearly Elvis. And then there is a um, there there is a lot of footage that shows the three. My my brain goes to Zohar. Uh, what what do they call it in this universe? The the, 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 the Trinity processors. Yeah, the three Trinity processors, the three Aegises, whatever they're called, Alvis being one of them. This really does just seem to be the the game that ties the the this seems like this could be the packet of DLC that ties everything together in a way that I think a few a subset of the community has wanted for a long time. But because, believe me, when I when I saw the trailer and I saw the all the all three Trinity processors slotted together, I'm like, okay, my 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 mind started like sparkling is like like okay i need this i'm finally i'm listening now to this trailer and of course th- there is a there's a small like three second clip of the thing that tied xenoblade one and two originally together with klaus on the station so that's going to factor in in some place um so this there, there there are there are certain things that we could speculate endlessly on this but it is it's surprising that it's so soon it's, it almost feels a little bit pointless to speculate because in a week we will know, right? Yeah, like next, yeah, like next, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. In a way, like it's it's great that it's coming out so soon, but it's like it's still a lot to take in, right? Like you have a character member, uh, a new character party member, just named A. Hmm. Wait, A has a Monado with them? What the fuck? And they can use visions in battle? What the fuck? Okay. And if I remember, if I remember right, uh, Xenoblade Three, every console letter had a representative except console A. Mm-hmm. Which I don't I don't know if that plays into this at all. Who um, knows? <laughs> I, I do okay. want to shout I do want to shout out what uh, Josh is doing there. Um, it seems like for a specifically every like Nintendo account referring to them is specifically avoiding using uh, gendered pronouns. So it might be another non-binary rep. Hmm. Yeah, we don't know. 
which we which we did which we did also kind of see with juniper yeah Yeah, so that that was neat to see yeah, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll we'll see what, what what comes out of it. Of course, the 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 real star of of this uh, new batch of characters that introduce is Glimmer. Um, very much hinting at, oh, this could be the kid that you know that Rex and Pyra's kid. Um, very much has the same uh, Trinity processor placement as Pyra had. Very much looks a lot like her, and you know that's kind of uh, and same oh, voice actress too. I know. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's the voice actress, right? Mm-hmm. So. Like uh, that's kind of the character that like everyone's been you know raving about too because like it's yet to, it's actually yet to be revealed whether we actually see Tyra and Mithra in person. We see the weaponized force that Rex is dual wielding, uh, obviously, but we don't actually know if we're gonna like see them in person. And like I would love to see them in person just for the bickering between Pyra and Glimmer, you know, just a mother and daughter, a good mother mother and daughter bickering uh, to each other. Well, but, speaking of, apparently, yeah. this is not something I follow, but some people might. Apparently, like, finally, like, the Pyramithra Amiibo is now, like, available to, like, order or get or something. Like, like all right. Probably spelled out in day one. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure if you're hearing this for the first time, you're already too late. But I didn't realize people were still waiting on those. I thought they had released a while ago, but I guess not. But I know that that was kind of accompanying a lot of this. I, I have something better. I have the Good Smile Company one. You have, like, the $200 ones. Yeah. So... So I have a yeah. kind of a broader topic here. Sure. Just like, so this is coming out next week. Zelda is coming out in like three weeks. What does Nintendo have after that? Pikmin 4. Yeah, Pikmin 4 and Metroid Prime 4. And I think that's it in terms of known quantity things. That's it. No, 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 that's the end of Nintendo's uh, line. <laughs> no more uh, Nintendo games after it. Nintendo, okay. even in their most like, uh, this is weird. And I've seen a lot of people kind of comment on this. Nintendo's had some dry years before, but this is the first time we've specifically had, but even in their dry years, they've always saved some big game for holiday. This is the first year, who knows how long, where the first half of the year is stacked for Nintendo games, and we have no idea at all what's going to be coming in the holiday. Personally, I think it might actually be Metroid Prime 4, but I'm curious, like, what the hell we're going to see. And I know some people have predicted, like, well, perfect time to announce a Switch too. Yep. Well, the thing is, people people have been predicting that for years. Like, this would be the perfect time to uh, Xenoblade would be the perfect time to announce Switch. Eventually, it'll be right. right? So it's, it's, it's like yeah. if, when they eventually uh, announce a follow up to the Switch, like people are like, yes, we're finally right after guessing it for the, like the eight hundredth time, we're finally right. I still you subscribe know? to the uh, to the idea that the Switch OLED was originally going to be a pro, but because of the silicon shortage and COVID, it just became the Switch OLED. Now, Nintendo has been pretty good recently about like they announce a game and then they release it like not that far later. Like I think Fire Emblem Engage, when was that announced? Like last like October September? or something like that. Yeah, yeah, like it was announced four months then, before it came out. And that and that, that happened. Was, three that happened. was. Xenoblade 3 was announced in like January and released in July or something like that. So, well, no, I, 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 I even remember. Only... Sorry, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say the only real bad ones were the ones really effective, uh, like either by COVID, like Zelda, or like real life world events like Advance Wars. I well, think like, I... like the only really bad ones. Or Metroid Prime 4, which is just. Or, yeah, which is, yeah, once again, like development hell, like especially I, I assume COVID also impacted that as well. Well, even like some deep cuts, like I remember way back, way back when Xenoblade Chronicles 2 was released, people were like, that's not going to make this year. And then it did. So they, they announced that like within the year at least. Um, mm-hmm. 
even on some smaller titles like i remember uh, what, what year did it come out 2019 uh origami king was announced a few months within it, it coming like out announced in may and released in july or something yeah so i would not be surprised if we have some summer adjacent nintendo event where they're like by the way we've got a Star Fox game or something like that where they're just like I would not put money on that, but uh, I, I would say that I, I, I am, we have seen this from Nintendo before and compared to all the other publishers, I would not be surprised if they've got something where like, we're going to announce a thing and it's out in two months because they, they do that constantly. I mean, you know, I, I, I assume like whatever their showcase is going to be like around the June timeframe where originally E3 would be, uh, I assume they'll, they'll, Put out the roadmap for the rest of the year. You know, I, I assume it'll be a big one, like because there, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of gaps in the year, you know, that they have to fill in. And they could just at any time say Metroid Prime Two Remaster. Here it is. Just yeah. Like the first one. Right. Yeah, I'm yeah, kind of surprised that wasn't a trilogy remaster, but that allows them to to do that. But yeah, there's a uh, there's also a lot of. Uh, Man, I keep on looking at the Xenoblade 3 DLC news, and uh, did you see that little relationship chart that they put out on the on, on the site? The, the it's I a just, really I didn't really look at it. I just saw uh, yeah. That it was there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, like you, know, you don't have to read too much of it, but you just saw at the bottom right corner you just see Riku there, and just like it doesn't link it to anyone. He's just like kind of there. He's like, "Yep, that's Riku, all right." <laughs> and it's not called the same exact thing, but it does seem like. Uh... For better or worse, uh, community is there. Is there? <laughs> Yay! Yeah, I do know that the Xenoblade like Japanese official Twitter has been sharing some really short clips, and I haven't gone through those of the fine tooth comb. I mean, like I'm, you said, in three days we're just gonna be playing it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, well, you know, hmm. uh, a, a big new release next week. Just on door. I I I forgot are they going to release it physically separately like torga or they no? haven't said they haven't said anything yet okay. it doesn't seem like it <laughs> i really wonder what like the, what the length is going to be like compared to torga in equally exciting news we have an announcement this week and that is is that niantic and capcom are partnering to release monster hunter now for september 2023 for those that are into the Pokemon Go style game, you can now do that and hunt down your favorite Monster Hunter monsters with an open beta announced uh, for April. Or sorry, closed beta. Closed beta announced for, for later in April. I'll play this. <laughs> I, I don't know if I'll... I'm interested to hear people who are playing it, what they have to say about it. And I don't know if I'll actually play it myself because I've never... <laughs> Out of those kinds of games, like really, um, I I used to play me. Pokemon Go a lot. I really liked it, like back before the pandemic. Um, I've been looking for an excuse to get back into it, but it feels like it's been so long since I last played Pokemon Go. Where it's like, eh, I'm not sure if I want to hop back in. It, it, like the like the, the like there's there seems to be like an actual like gameplay to this. I wondered like how involved it is, like how about the controls. Yeah. I really like I really like that like it just you can seamlessly um play it between horizontal and vertical alignment I, on your phone. I will That's say and I guess this is just like kind of like an open question to to the call. Like even back when I like kind of last played Pokemon Go, it was like there's a lot of actual gameplay in that game now. Like when was the last time you guys have touched it? 
because like everyone's played Pokemon 20, Go like at least 17. once <laughs> when it came out. I it is a I, I don't know I don't know if I installed it actually. I saw I people. Yeah, I'm trying to think if I installed it. <laughs> my my brother installed it, and he basically made him like made me drive all over these places to get those. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, I am by no means a Pokemon Go expert, but I, I've definitely seen like impressions from people that very clearly only touched Pokemon Go at launch and have not touched it since. That game is like drastically different from how it used to be. There is I so sure, much I mean, actual yeah. gameplay. I, I I've definitely seen like you know be like not recent footage but like you know like within the last like year and a half, like uh, I've seen like people like talk about it. Like they issues still... with Niantic aside, I'd say that that's probably the best mobile game out there. Probably and it, it's had the staying power and it's made a shit ton of money, so I'm not surprised to see. I heard there was constant improvements to it. So yeah, it and it's like the me. one. And like the one main issue that's like uh, kind of like plaguing the game right now is that during COVID, they introduced like remote raiding because before it used to be that if you wanted to go to a raid, you had to actually go in person. It was like a whole thing about, oh, you need to like gather up in groups because it's like an AR game and all that. Uh, COVID obviously made that harder. So they introduced remote raids and they said there was going to be temporary and they've kept the lane like uh, pushing back things to how they were and obviously a lot of people started playing the game when remote raids were like part of the like were introduced so now you have people that have gotten used to fundamentally what the game was never really intended to be and uh also obviously people that just would not have been able to play if if it wasn't for remote raids and it's just a bit of a mess it's, is is, it, is it overly honest for me to look at? So the the trailer for this Monster Hunter now starts with like someone walking outside. Like Pokemon Go was like originally marketed. I'm like, do I have to go outside? Is that overly honest? <laughs> can I can I just play this at my desk? Because I, I can uh, see myself looking at this. I mean, that that's that's the thing, and and I do want to be clear. I do want to be clear. I am talking from the standpoint of someone that lives in a a major city with plenty of poke stops and plenty of gems, which will transfer over to whatever the monster hunter equivalent is. Even more bluntly, I could load up Pokemon go right now on my phone. There is a poke stop within my desk where (laughs) I do my work. Uh, Okay. But like Pokemon go aside, like what else have they revealed about this monster hunter now? Like, uh, like I, all I know is like they showed off some footage, like dodge rolling, the tail severing and, that you can play it, the like you can switch between landscape and portrait uh, seamlessly in it, which is I always find really cool. Like this is not the first game that's done that. There's in other games that have done that. I, I always appreciate that that like they do that. Yeah, they haven't revealed too much yet. But granted, the like in a few days the closed beta starts, so people have more information about that then. So yeah, like, revealed like, that they're like, going to get. I hear it, if I hear enough good stuff about it, and and be like. People like start getting into it. Like maybe I'm like maybe I will do it. Do, like, this is gonna be it. weird. This is gonna be weird. Do uh-huh. we have a Niantic contact we could like reach out to for getting beta access? Because yeah, I do yeah, have I'm experience probably. with Pokemon Go. Like it, I haven't played in a while, but there was like a period of like a couple of months where I was playing that game every day. So I would genuinely be interested in like covering this. They have revealed that 
they're gonna make they're gonna get their mileage out of those Monster Hunter World animations. Oh yeah. But yeah, obviously closed beta by before the end of the month. So um, it seems like James might be willing to poke at it. And I know it's a little bit silly, even the way that I introduced it, but it does make sense. Of course, people are going to try to chase that because of the success of Pokemon Go. And Monster Hunter seems like a somewhat, I don't know about a natural fit, but it's a, it's an understandable fit. So we'll see if this is a success for Niantic and Capcom or or otherwise. I can't believe I can't, I can't believe James and I will have to like go to the beach to go do the Legacrius or whatever raid for that game. Imagine, imagine you uh, you're hunting a Rathalos and it's like goes Gen One mode and it's like, haha, you need to run to the other side of the city to catch me. <laughs> okay, that he fucked up. This is the James and uh, Josh's anime filler arc. Oh, all right, they they brought they brought back paintballs too for this game. Yeah, I can't. I'll, I'll I can't. be honest. I'll be honest. Fuck. Oh right, Ryan doesn't know what paintballs are. Oh, no, I, I've, I, I've, I'm aware of generally how they were, but yes, I, I came back. <laughs> I do like the I do like the idea of James like reporting in, it's like so. I traveled to I don't know Colorado, and I caught you know I happened to run into a Sharishvalda or or whatever. Like, All I mean, right, Ryan, back in the old days, you know when a monster ran away, the map didn't automatically show you where it went. Okay, so you either had to trace like the shadow that it cast and like look at where it was going to be. Like, okay, here's the zones I know it can it can uh, be in, and this is the direction it went, so I can check this zone. Or, or if you're smart, you either bring psycho serums, which you can drink, and it just telepathically lets you know which zone it's in. Or you just throw a paintball at it. Or, uh, or the just, really just... fun stuff is that if you see a hot air balloon, that's like a research expedition. And if you like look at it with your camera and then use the wave emote, it'll like send a signal back to let you know, like in Morse code, which area it's in. Well, why not just use your scout flies, guys? Come on. Oh, Brian. <laughs> Brian, back in the old days, there was this thing called open zone gameplay in Mushroom. Back in the old days, back <laughs> in the old days, you you didn't just find a gathering point. The game didn't let you know so graciously you were on top of a gathering point. You see a beehive and you just stand under it. It doesn't let you know you can gather it or you just press the button and then you gather there. Oh, my God. Will Monster Hunter now have gathering resources? Like, you have to fucking <laughs> go to this thing. Uh, go to this flower shop. That's what and... that's what Pokestops will be in oh, uh, Monster Hunter now. You'll get that for your supplies that you use when you're hunting monsters. Like, I genuinely think this is a really good fit for the type of game that, like... I'm uh, really interested to hear, like, more mechanics about it. Like, I'm... Like, it, it's genuinely, like, an interesting idea to me because I like the game. The last major headline I have here, or we've, we've that I've binned with the major headlines before we get into just some other gameplay trailers, is that Square Enix released a trailer um, this week that had a, an interesting premise and an interesting headline. It was called the Square Enix AI Tech Preview for a game called the Portopia Serial Murder Case. And this was something that kind of, as far as I understand, didn't quite it's come out of remake. no yeah so this is a, this is a this is an adventure game that came out in 1983 but of course that headline is i won't say it's inherently incendiary but anything of course with with and around the realm of ai today is a hot topic for various reasons that i'm not going to dive into here especially around the world of gaming especially from square enix who has 
kind of latched on to certain trends in certain ways that has been kind of undesirable, like with their focus on Web3 and, and NFTs and things like that. So there was a lot of there was a lot of knee jerk reactions when they said, hey, here's an AI tech preview. Like, well, what are you doing, Square Enix? However, watching this demo that they've shown for kind of a reimagining of this 1983 adventure game called the Portopia Serial Murder Case to kind of demonstrate how AI can be used in their games. I thought when I watched this and tried to keep as open of a mind as possible, I was quite, I was quite, I don't know about enamored, but I was, I was quite engaged with what they were showing here. So this is an adventure game that is going to have some sort of demo or re-release or remake on Steam this week on April 23rd, where they are using AI capability to have a smart dialogue integration in this adventure game where you'll have characters speaking to you. And instead of choosing from a list of responses from your character's perspective, you would literally type in a response, which is then understood by the software what you intend. Like this is this is a game where obviously I've not, I've not played the original, but based on the trailer that they've shown, inv in, involves investigative measures. Uh, you're in the role of something in the guise of a detective or something like that, where you would type in, investigate this character, show this piece of evidence, look at this photo. So you you type these in, and the game and the NPC that's speaking to you will understand what you mean based on what the, well at least that's what square enix is trying yeah. to uh, uh, demonstrate here a lot, a lot of like the the, the a, a lot of this is cleared up like there's like the like if anything there's like the one game you should really read about the about this software uh description on the steam page because it clears up anything like any uncertainties like people may have about this whole thing because it's it's mainly you like this whole reimagining the protopia protopia serial murder case is used to enhance the natural language processing uh technology that is commonly used globally uh it is, now, it is uh, let me just jump in real quick yeah. i kind of feel like if they would have called it an nlp tech demo yes. which is natural language processing rather than an ai tech demo maybe the uh the initial like response that some people had when they see like that visceral response and they see ai might have been mitigated a bit if they just called it an nlp demo instead i agree i agree i will say though that uh it's uh a little awkward talking about this when uh just uh an hour ago the official near account tweeted out a text with a well not text uh, t put out a tweet with uh with a disclaimer saying that the text was drafted by chat gbt i mean that's a fucking near twitter account they shit post on a daily basis so <laughs> yeah that's I mean, who who cares? To be honest, but, um, this game is more in line with what the original creator's uh, vision is. Um, exactly. Yeah, the, the original creator was one Yuji uh, Hori. Dragon <laughs> Quest. Uh, this game in, inspired a lot of other games, like, um, for example, Famicom Detective Club. Yep. You know, he played you know this game when he was a kid, and you're like, oh man, I want to make video games now. And and Famicom Detective Club was a byproduct of that. And, and to be clear, like Yuji Hori, like alone made the original release of this game in Japan. It, the original release was like for the PC eighty eight oh one, and it was published by Enix. And that was the that was the version of the game that was where you uh, put in you you typed in pre canned phrases that the game would recognize in Japanese to navigate through that game. There was an updated release re remake of that game on Famicom that 
that did away that the text parser and like gave you the more traditional menu based um decision making so like instead of like having to type out stuff you have a list of options to choose from in the famicom release that did get a fan translation english fan translation um and that was the one that was very popular uh among the mainstream and that really that that's the version that really like exploded the adventure genre like it was like mind-blowing at that time um it, it, like it, it's hard to like even describe like the impact of that game because it, it like it affected so much you know um but it's interesting to see that like the reimagining and remake uh remake of this game is like more true to the original release so according to the steam page it's only gonna support english and japanese but um but it's de- it's definitely understandable and more and interest and more interesting to me to see that like they're using nlp as a way to like to, as like the, like the main like thrust to like engage with this game because of like of the improvements to that tech uh, to technology in general over the years it's and going to be interesting to see how an experiment how flexible it is in like in the confines and framework of the game um it also uh supports speech to text so i really want to test out too like how well the speech to text technology can like like you know pick up and like identify what you're saying and put that into into text of the game and how they um process what you're saying when you're just trying to like have like when you're saying stuff like in a more natural conversation in the way that you're structuring your sentences like will it be versatile and flexible enough to like understand that and be like and proceed on to like what you want it to to do instead of like instead of like the traditional like choose your own adventure dos commands where like you have to like basically get a dictionary of like okay what will this piece of software what 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 command phrases will it respond to? And that's and there's the only only you had to it was a very strict like text input of like it will respond to these, it will not respond to anything else. If you're like one letter off, you'll have to redo the command or type out the read you know. So it's not as flexible, obviously, because technology back then and that and that t- uh time frame was very, you know, basic, very um not obviously not not as advanced as it is today. Like when I think of natural language, like that's existed before the recent, like obviously we live in the world of chat GPT and AI art and things like that. But this is a, this is what the nerd I am. Back when I was in grad school, there was this online tool called Wolfram Alpha for doing mm-hmm. any sort of mathematic plotting or from alpha. Yeah. But the thing yeah. is, is I remember this is, this has got to be over 10 years ago now, but they had a major update that was called something like the natural language update where you didn't have to have any specific syntax for what you wanted. You could just type into the prompt graph, a blue cone of area six cubic feet height, 10 mm, feet or whatever. And it would just do it similar ish to how you would just type in chat GPT, write a review of Ryza 3 or whatever you would do. To, <laughs> but uh, the thing is, so I'm like- away Nathan's uh, strategies here. No, I mean, this is, <laughs> joking, yeah, joking. that's all, that's oh, all we're all, we're, we're all expendable. But uh, that's so like, when I think of natural language, like this is, this is something that like has already existed in other forms for a while now. And it, I mean, the AI fact- has already existed before it exploded with like chat, AI yeah. art or whatever, so. Yeah, so so that's so like as as kind of 
irritating as it's been for Square Enix's New Year's resolution to be like, here's what we think about NFTs or whatever. The fact that they're looking at this for this particular case, I have no problem with. And I think it's a very interesting little trial here to see like how we, how they can incorporate user dialogue input in a way. Uh, the, the interesting thing about this too is like this is going to be a free-to-play game and I'm assuming it's going to be a full game, I think, question mark. I have no idea, but... Have you been the original game, Josh? I played a chunk of it. I didn't actually get to the ending of it. From the original like a game is ago. very short. You yeah, basically, you basically like uh, based on your findings, you basically uh, determine who your culprit is, and and basically you get the ending based on who you think the culprit is. Obviously, there is a true mastermind, but yeah, getting yeah. the wrong person as the culprit is. Uh, but people, I have people have been saying like it, like the like the ending is like is like kind of infam- not infamous, but like it's it's famous for like I'm I'm what like. But I didn't get to there, so I don't actually know who the true master. Yeah, that that, that, that playthrough was like a, a lifetime ago. So yeah. I already know who the true mastermind is. But I, mean, I, I, I don't know. Like... That, that, I guess that that's good that I don't know. That. But like people playing the game back in the day, I don't think this game is like beatable without a guide. There's some very obscure shit in this game. Like trying to get through the game is just like it's like playing Visory back in the day. You know how you trying to get like the real ending. You know, it's just like very obscure shit. I don't know if that will be in in the remake. Yeah, but but, uh, but to anyone who's like like mildly or even a little bit interested in adventure games, I'd say hey, for free, the the price is free, and then you know it it seems to be, have a lot of the technologies it's testing under the hood. Obviously, if anyone is like kind of still kind of on the fence of like I don't know about like the the ethical um, issues that like may arise from this, I highly highly recommend visiting the Steam page to this uh, the Portopia serial murder case uh, for this game and like reading the, the whole entire description because they go into very much detail like why exactly they're doing this and like the technologies that they're employing and like the concerns that you that you know people might have about it like like for example they had to disable the na- natural language generation aspect of this game because you know they were receiving unethical replies from the AI generating the responses are like, okay, well, we're not going to roll out that feature until we're like, you know, confident that, um, you know, it, it'll work as uh, intended uh, and not be fucking weird. Which I, you know, it's very understandable why people were are skeptical about this, but you know, this read, read a little bit more about like what's under the hood and seeing what they're doing, you know. And with that, we'll go into our last slate of news posts here. Most of these, like I stated at the top of this podcast, are gameplay trailers for upcoming releases. I believe I have them uh, slotted here kind of in a rough chronological order, Uh, starting with something that is actually already out that I don't know we have a ton to talk about here, but we've obviously spoken about Monster Hunter and Monster Hunter Rise specifically in a few different contexts, both with the uh, Monster Hunter Now that was announced and of course with the comparison to wild hearts which has been getting some updates from ea throughout the year since its launch in february monster hunter rise sunbreak of course launches on consoles on at the end of the month on april 28th and of course the pc and switch version of the game continues to see support from capcom uh so update five just released earlier this week which added new risen elder dragons and also added an elder dragon named amatsu who I will have to defer to our Monster Hunter experts. Amatsu, is this is this something that strikes fear in our hearts, or who is who is this uh, kind of? <laughs> is this something we should be scared of? <laughs> yeah, um, Amatsu 
isn't really that like isn't really a terrifying monster. It's just like they've been leading up to uh, their uh, inclusion in Sunbreak for the last like couple of title updates now. And like between like little bits and bobs on Twitter, like it, this was expected. This was oh, expected. Okay. So, yeah, update um, five just released Risen for the- Shigaru Magala, however. <laughs> oh, yeah. And that one I can actually speak to a little bit. Uh based on Shigaru Magala in the base game or in some break, I mean, so uh, I, I still like, I still have, I haven't gotten to like risen Valstrax yet. So I haven't, I haven't, I'm behind on these updates, but update five, this is for the uh, switch and PC version. Um, the, the Xbox and PlayStation version is going to launch with all the updates up to title update three. So they will be offset for a little bit. I presume eventually, as we've seen with World and Iceborne, that that will eventually coincide, but we're, we're a few months out from that. So still plenty of reasons to keep Monster Hunter Rise installed or look forward to Sunbreak's release if you're playing on Xbox or PlayStation. As for gameplay trailers, in a rough chronological order, um, coming out next month in early May, we have the Switch release of Dakapon Kingdom Connect, which we have talked about during its announcement over the last couple of months in previous podcasts. And um, Idea Factory did release a three-minute gameplay trailer. Doesn't have any voiceover or anything. It's pretty much just pure gameplay of what to expect from this game, uh, as as a little quirky make make a whole lot of friends puzzle game. You know, friendships will be tested, I presume, through this title. Though I have not played the original release, so I don't know to what extent. <laughs> wait, wait, are you are you saying Dark of Hot Kingdom is a puzzle game? What? Well, no, it uh, it's, it is it's... an RPG. Yeah. It's a Mario Party like. That's that's how I think. Yeah, it's basically Mario Party except like ten times longer with a whole ass RPG. Yeah. Uh, being played out, and um, you can really fuck over other people, and then make the last like ninety hours mean nothing to them in the last two turns. Like it is the most petty game that you can think of. It's it? awesome. <laughs> I just like how every single trailer or announcement of this game, like I'm going to this trailer. This this is the uh, gameplay trailer. It's called A Schemer's Guide to Duck Upon. Um, and the things are like, gotta love how this game encourages friendships to be destroyed. <laughs> things like that. Like, oh, it is yes. pretty infamous for that. It's like, it's like if people are like Mario Party, that people gas up Mario Party for breaking up friendships. It's like, you know what I mean? Nah, you haven't played Duck <laughs> If you really want to feel, make it feel like you really wasted your friends' time, so that, of course, so that, of course, will come out uh, early next month. And we have a new gameplay trailer that shows exactly how it works. And as someone who's not played the game, it does really just seem like, oh, yeah, this is Mario Party. So that's my that's my purview as I see it from an outsider's perspective. We also got gameplay trailers for some upcoming RPGs that come out in more of the June time frame, starting with an Xseed release trailer for Loop 8 Summer of Gods. So this is a game that we've talked about on a few previous podcasts i believe it was originally announced in a japanese nintendo direct and slowly we got its official western marketing through xseed over the last couple of months had a few high level comparisons to persona um, this week we got our first extended kind of gameplay deep dive we have a seven minute trailer from xseed about how this game exactly works and having watched the trailer i am kind of surprised I don't know how to state state this charitably, but it's 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 a lot more limited than I expected in terms of animation, in terms of how how the game is presented. It just seems like a bit of a budget title. That's not necessarily it's, bad, but it's just it, it wasn't re- quite what I expected. It reconfirms what I said about this game in an earlier podcast, and like it, it, it in a really not great way. 
Do you remember the game that I was like referencing when, I, when we first saw like footage of it in motion? Mm, not offhand. Time and Eternity for the PlayStation 3. Uh, that's a but... bad... That's a bad sign. <laughs> Which I was like, oh no. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Why, 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 are you, why are you mentioning... Like, I, I must feel... Like, people who are like... Oh, man, I feel like a crazy... Uh, crazy you know, that, that time was that. basically... I think the PS3 was suffering from RPG droughts. And Niso was offering titles and that's what you get or natural doctrine you know mm. stuff like that and you're like oh my god what are these games but like but like when we saw the new gameplay trailer lupe and i'm like oh my god it looks a lot like time and eternity in motion like when you see like the animations i'm like maybe, oh my god maybe i maybe i wasn't paying attention to it back then because this is the first time i've spent seeing a significant amount of both out of and in combat gameplay of this game in motion and the main character nini he looks like he's like power walking but like the it's like it's like 10 frames of animation as he like struts down the street and then when he and then when he speaks to other characters they have like a a fine 3d model that's facing him as they as he speaks and you choose dialogue options but instead of animating between like between poses they just like phase between poses like he's, he's speaking to a friend named saru who's got like his hands behind his head and then when he's excited the image will like phase to him like giving a fist pump like it doesn't naturally transition it just like it's, a, it's like it's like a, it's like a stop motion like, kind uh, like of. you're flipping through pages but it's missing some pages to like make it smoother in the most like charitable way i'll give it and then how this game works is that each character has like three different affinity meters between uh friendship affection and hate which then like based on your choices and your battle uh outcomes and things like that will determine like their overall feelings towards you and towards each other uh then how the battles work and maybe this was already detailed in a press release so this is my first time seeing it in action you only ever control the input of the main character and then the inputs of the other character is just suggested which is not new like it's classic persona work that way i don't know persona well, 3 classic. Persona. It's, like, it's like original persona 3 like persona 3 <laughs> persona 3 and persona 4 pre golden do i have that right no What's persona that 3 is the only one that had like persona 4 lets you uh even the original like, you, uh, uh, okay let you dictate like party members actions and there's only the original persona 3 released okay. that, like, I, you into. I, I forgot i, I for prefer that way but in uh, Loop 8, Summer of Gods, you choose us, the actions of the main character and then the other characters based on not only their affinity towards the main character, but their affinity towards the target that will determine their actions. So this had two effects. As I, as I watched this gameplay, I kind of thought of two things. First of all, they talked about how using hatred-based actions deal more damage but also inflict like the the enemy will get stronger if you use those, although counterattack more 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 strongly. And I thought that was kind of like, oh, that's an that's an interesting little wrinkle there. Using them using the strongest abilities you have will make the will they come with a risk. It's like, all right, that's not nothing. That's something that could be inherently interesting. However, this does seem like a lot of you choose an input and then you watch it play out and then you choose an input and then you watch it play out, which you could say that's all turn based games, but to an exaggerated extent here. And I'm like, eh, I don't know how I feel about that. Of course, it's just a trailer. But I will say that as I watch this, I'm like, I don't know if I'm interested. Like, it's I, I, it's not what I expected, but that's just a personal opinion of mine. So, yeah, it's I don't know. I, I guess I really have to see it in motion and I, or like see it in action for myself and see how it feels to play. Like, I, I think on paper, it sounds interesting. In execution, the gameplay trailer really didn't do it many favors for me. 
But I think I need to see like the larger context of it to like I, I'm still open to giving it a fair shot. I I kind of been this with like Mato Anomalies, which released a month ago or so without a lot of fanfare. We're like, I'm sure it has a few interesting things under the hood, but our plates are just so full that when the gameplay trailer has us questioning, I'm like, eh, I'm not sure I want to jump on board. Um, and then, of course, we already know how packed May and June are. So when this is releasing uh, June, June 6th. So at a time where it's like, OK, it's it's a crowded era. So I don't know that I'm going to be able to earmark time for this game, uh, at least at, at, during release. So it had to be down the road or, or see some word of mouth before we jump in. But we do have the gameplay trailer. It is very thorough. If you have any questions about how this game looks or plays, it kind of it puts it all out there as we're a little over a month away from it releasing uh in june um another game that we got a, that is also releasing in june that we got some gameplay footage of is of course the switch and pc release of the etrian odyssey origins collection of course the main difference here is that this is of course a, a remaster collection of a set of ds games um, so not only is this trailer just showcasing how the game is translated to its new platforms, but accompanies some details for how these new remasters will utilize the new platforms to hold the original release as preserve it as accurately as possible. One thing that Atlas has detailed alongside the gameplay trailer for this remaster collection of the first three games is that the Switch will have touchscreen capability just like to emulate how it was available on the DS and the PC release will allow for mouse input. And then both of these releases for Switch and PC will include a new auto mapping feature as a quality of life uh, improvement for the- I'm, so, I'm sorry, but it's just so weird to hear like, oh man, the PC version will have mouse input. That's crazy. <laughs> like, you, have to, you have to understand, that sounds absurd, right? <laughs> I mean, I mean, not like not like that's not like coming from you. It's like from the trailer itself, but it's like, it's like yes, that's the basic it, like. It is a marketing point at this point because oh uh, Wo Long when it when Wo Long first came out, it did not have proper mouth support. Yeah, yeah. I mean, God, it's so. Well, I, don't I remember know. some. Game I remember games, like man. I I, I, I think I think it was one of Durante's like deep dives for one of his ports, but like. Sometimes, like mouse input, where it just emulates a control selection, like it's not trivial um, to make these menus support a cursor input when they weren't originally designed to have that. So I don't think. Sure, yeah. Go ahead. I'm pretty sure that's the reason why so many like uh, AAA games have that sort of like menuing where it's like you use the analog stick to move like a cursor, a cursor to selecting. Yeah. Because it makes it easier for them to just uh, get like mouse uh, support for menus on PC. <sighs> Sorry, I, I, my, my no, I, I agree with you that like mouse input is not sexy, but it's what Atlas <laughs> called out in their trailer. So I'm going to state it here: you get mouse input on the PC version of Etrian Odyssey Origins Collection. There you go. If you don't like it, then tough. <laughs> Okay, I, okay. That's not really my real beef about this game. Like ever since like the original uh, trailer, it's like I think this is a pixel remaster thing where hopefully people like modern like alternative fonts for this game. I don't really like the fonts in this, but that's me. They should bring back the original DS, the original games, original version, original font. There we go. Now we're stopping. <laughs> Just spend three hundred dollars on eBay and buy the. No, but I but I agree. The font is really strange. It's, it has the same problem that the Pixel Masters do, where it's just like really thin in some places, and some of the boxes that like they 
they barely take up space in the box. So you have like a lot of empty space. And then not only that, but there's a couple of places where there's like like an, a font for a name and a font for an item or a font in a, a selection and menu, and they don't seem to like match very well. Yeah. Is it uh, is is it a dragon small hide shield small hide shield made from dragon skin or whatever though? <laughs> No. Okay, like yeah. uh, okay, the, Brian. Uh, like I'll admit, it is it is one of those things that at least I can appreciate every other game right now for not having for not being beyond bottom of the barrel English localization. Okay, so in a sense, you know, when when you when you're playing something that bad, the only way you can go is up because you can't even imagine what's worse. So I understand that these are DS games being blown up from a tiny like 200p screen to a you know HD. But yeah, they need to be more careful with how they set up the fonts and the spacing and like a new aspect ratio and all that. It's just right now, it's just a little bit ugly. <laughs> I mean, the, I, the game itself, I don't expect it to look like a DS game, but just yeah. the font, like, you can do better there. I, yeah, I, so. I, I think we've discussed this on previous editions of the podcast, but uh, when I went to the Steam page to look at this, I was, even though I don't think this is, this is not new news, I was still surprised that this is a trio pack, at least on Steam, that are 40 bucks each. I'm like, oh, yeah, and th- yeah, it's 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 eighty dollars for the pack if you get them all together, and that's it's like a what it's, it's it's like oh what a deal. I thought this was like I I honestly thought that this was forty bucks for the trio. I was like that's it, that makes sense. Like oh wait, it's forty bucks each. Like maybe <laughs> maybe I'm just like completely have my expectations out of alignment. But I'm like oh, it's uh. well. One thing to consider is that there was a number of. Uh, Etrian Odyssey games on 3DS that uh, Atlas charged $50 for. So unfortunately, it is in brand for this series, at least over the last couple of entries. I am curious, like between one, two and three. If you have to get one, just play three. three yeah. Yeah. I was, was yeah, going to say, if, like, what is the what is the yeah. suggested one? If we're going to die, yeah, I, feel like, I, feel, I feel like that's like an article almost of like, if, look, if I don't want to get all three, which one should I get? <laughs> Uh, I like the premise of that article. I I I don't want to too spend short it. to play any Etrian Odyssey game other than three. Gotcha. Another uh, trailer for a game that is currently undated is the upcoming Owlcat game project Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader. Of course, this game has, doesn't have a release date yet. I don't think it's even slated for 2023 officially, even though people are hoping that it'll come out later in the year. Owlcat has been releasing a few um, dev diaries over the months for Rogue Trader for those that have played previous Owlcat games but aren't well-versed on the Warhammer lore. The, the more recent trailer is one where they just go over the different locations in the game so it's very mineral very much an environmental art trailer for for this game which is kind of interesting to see because of course owlcat's more recent games are in the pathfinder universe and now they're working on rogue trader which is set in uh, the warhammer 40k universe so a much a much different like style of environment and then alongside this this specific dev diary dev diary video i believe is about a month old at this point but we covered alongside the locations trailer, a dev diary that's going over the different factions of Warhammer. And I'm like, sure, I'll watch this factions trailer. I don't know anything about Warhammer. Let's see what I learn here. And basically, I learned that uh, Warhammer both has elves and dark elves. And that's basically what I walked away with. Only they don't call them elves. They call them Asuriani and Drukhari. 
And if you're a Warhammer expert and you're like, that's not right. They're not elves. I'm like, they're they're elves. I don't know. They're they're humanoid creatures that have high like psychic affinity. And then there's a dark variant that are very like bloodthirsty and brutal. I'm like, okay, those are those are elves and dark elves in my mind. It's cool to see Owlcat going over and kind of doing these little deep dives for I think they they I think they realize that certain people this will be their entryway into the war, uh, Warhammer universe. So it's kind of cool like I kind of like the the approach on the locations trailer. It's not like a typical trailer that's like like trying to like hype you up or anything like that. It's literally just like you want to show off some of the environments we made. You like isometric games? Come on, just take a look. Here we go. We got, you know, this cathedral. We got some statues. Uh, it's not narrated. I'm making that up, but they're just basically showing off like here are some of the locations. Well, it's you know? it's it's narrated it's with some like palettes. in it's like narrated with some oh, like yeah. in in universe kind of fluff. But, but as yeah. a, the attract is basically just like we just want to show off some of the places we made. Here you go. You know, and, I kind of like and, that. And I will say that like Wrath of the Righteous, Cat's last game for for our nice mentor game is absolutely beautiful. And Rogue Trader, it's a much different environment. And it's a lot more grungy. So to call that beautiful is a bit. It's strange, but it is it's very well done and very well realized as someone who doesn't have a preconception for what Warhammer is supposed to look like. So I admit that I have that deficiency, but I do think that there's their work is really fun to look at and they make some pretty good looking games, in my opinion. So I'm excited just on that front as well. And a locations trailer is a good uh, excuse to kind of show it off. So hopefully we'll see this later this year. Um, but not officially dated as far as i can tell unless it's unless it's nested away someplace in a sneaky place but currently not officially announced for 2023 and then finally with no official western announcement of any sort we did get some more information about the upcoming yeast 10 which is releasing this year at least in japan of course just a couple months ago we finally got um, more details about the game's secondary protagonist which is karja um, and a little bit about how the new combat system works between Adol and Karja in replacement of the uh, last few games' party system. The update for this month is the introduction of a few characters for East 10, including that uh, Dogi will, baking a, will make an appearance. He once again has quite a different look here. It's it's sort of more similar to his East 1 and 2 appearance, but it's it's still as... At least in my interpretation, a, a different take on the character. He's not as jacked as as in recent uh, entries, but yeah, he, he's a more grounded doggy, but he still looks handsome. I mean, I do um, just kind of appreciate that the uh, that the characters do have like a different like style in each game. But I think Chow talked about this a little bit last week, or not last week, the last time we talked about East Town with the last update is that there is a little bit of an incongruency between the 2D art and the 3D models. The 3D models look more in line with what we've seen with East 8 and 9, but the 2D art is quite a bit different, uh, mm. at least in my opinion, especially especially for Adol. Um, of course, that's a little bit harder to state for the new characters. Alongside, Falcom did announce some details and some short bios for some characters specific to this game. Uh, Glenn, Rosa, and Cruz. So just a specific like cast of cast of comrades uh in this particular adventure which is very typical for used to have uh bespoke characters for each individual game and then the final details that falcon provided was a little bit more of the non-combat features of this mana action system and it talks about how these can be used to 
both in and outside of the environment. It talks about the mana string, which is like a grappling hook, mana ride, which we have an image of Adol looking on like he's on a surfboard and can cross, you know, bodies of water with it. And then mana burst, which has uh, an elemental affinity based on whichever character is using it, either Adol or Karja, which is can also be used to open the environment to new pathways. So this is kind of we've seen like with like the monstrum abilities in East uh, in East Nine open up new uh you know environmental like lock and key sort of metroidvania type things so it seems like this mana system here is kind of occupying that same space here in east 10 in absence of a party system so hey uh ciao oh fuck i i thought i was back shit never mind oh he's what were we gonna I ask am back. I'm curious oh, oh ciao, ciao is back oh shit i had to use the washroom sorry it's okay Child, we're on this East 10 thing. Did you see the the character designs for the new East 10 uh, character people? Uh, everyone was already memeing it. It looked like At- Atelier Rise of Free. <laughs> okay, that, that wasn't where I was going to go with it, but you know. Oh I, my I god, she she really does look like Claudia. <laughs> but you, you, you know the pink-haired girl, right? You know you know who's voicing the pink-haired girl? Uh, the pink-haired girl? No, not yet. Uh, Yoshino Aoyama. And you know who, who Yoshino Aoyama voiced? Ochi. Oh God. <laughs> so that's why we were. Uh, uh, that's why the people were calling her Bochi at at first. Um, before the the they, uh, the Komitsu came out. <laughs> well, have you heard how she naturally sounds? She doesn't sound anything like Bochi. Oh yeah, obviously. <laughs> it's like every character in that show. Like if they talk with their normal voices, they sound nothing like what they do. Like if you hear Kita. Like uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, like actual voice. It's like very deep. It's like all, yeah. all the characters she plays is like all this like high pitched kind of characters. It's something. really funny. Uh, yeah, I, I'm really excited to hear like uh, how Rosa sounds in um, East Ten whenever they fucking get out another trailer. Man, so uh, I'm interested to see what, where they go. But yeah, I mean, sure, you know, like yeah, we're kind of getting to that bar. Um, so, portion of the Mar- Falcon marketing cycle where they're kind of like, you know, detailing. They're probably going to start detailing, you know, more minute elements to it, which is fine. Just show us the game again in motion, like, for real. Like, Yeah, I think right here is kind of where my threshold ends. Like, we had the introduction, some loose concepts, then we last had the, here's how the two protagonists work and the combat works, and now we're having, like, the next step in about how some of the progression works and exploration works. Once it goes mi- more minute than this is where I start to, like, all right, let me just wait until I actually see footage. Or you don't want to know more about the item shopkeeper? Yeah, I can't wait. To, I can't wait to hear like how item upgrades work or how shops work. There, there is only one ideal item shopkeeper. It is. I, I don't even remember the name anymore. <laughs> nice. Uh, <laughs> great contribution. <laughs> okay. Okay. Best blacksmith, Catherine. Okay. Best blacksmith. There uh, we go. Okay, all right. Okay. You didn't entirely redeem yourself, but I'll, 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 you got something with that. Yeah. So, of course, that's slated to release uh, later this year in Japan, and we'll likely, hopefully, pray to see it at some point next year. Uh, here uh, I have a question. Did anyone pick up uh, Open Fagana, the, the Switch version? No, no, I didn't have a reason to. I can just play it on PC. Yeah. Well, I just wonder if anyone wanted to see if, like, if there's enough content where all the characters are actually voiced now. 
or if Ada was actually talking for real. Well, uh, it seems I like a, yeah, I feel like you know if you really, if you can follow your hearts and dreams and make that dream a reality for yourself, you know. Well, you could always play East Free back in the day, and and he actually talks there. That hasn't been formally announced for West either, right? No. Nope. So. You know, now that I think about it, even with like Rune Factory, like uh, okay, so I was playing Rune Factory Free Special. I imported it, but how would that game even work when they localize it? I mean, not too many translated the game back in the day. Would they able to like, reuse all their assets, or would they have to like retranslate the entire game again? Well, that'll be the case for the other special releases too, right? No, because four was actually done by Exceed, and oh, I didn't so know that. Is, so is like um five and other other games, you know, or Frontier. I well, it a... it's possible that Marvelous Japan owns owns the rights to the English license to the English translation that was done for them, and then they can like give it to whoever possibly. Sometimes the people who do the localization don't own it. Yeah. This could also be the case where they just like, kind of relocalize it like they did with Muramasa, for example. It's like, well, it's like we could play this entire game with a, with a re-localization. Okay, what was the original localization like? Like, uh, Was it good, bad, okay? Uh, the original, I wouldn't say it's perfect, but it's full of charm. Let's just say that. A lot of... A lot of like character charms, though you don't really get it in the Japanese. It's definitely not like an exit style. I think they do take a little lot of, too much liberties, so you might not like it, or you know, depending how you look at it. Like, mm-hmm. I would say it's kind of like the level below working design, where working design's too far in taking liberties. It's kind of like the level before that. Let's just say mm-hmm. that. Okay, that's how I, I treat the original, and I think that's kind of like a good balance. Not too far, and not you know. I do like how frequently Chow imports Rune Factory game months ahead of Western release, like has has been on this podcast because that releases, I believe, in September here in the West, but released in March, of course, in Japan. So I was a true fan. Okay, Mm -hmm. it has very good reasoning back in the day. You know, when you play in the DS, they want to give you two safe slots. So here I would play the Japanese version where I married two wives and then I play the English version and I married the other two wives and then the other six gets left alone because well i don't have enough safe slots <laughs> well, there you go <laughs> for i don't know why but my brain was like for some reason i was expecting you to say like i play a japanese version and i marry two wives and i play the english version and i marry two dudes i don't know like just gotta just well, gotta run the gamut <laughs> that would be an option and that would be an option if that was room factory four oh, okay. but that is not an option in the english i mean in the in the first three sadly yeah and then the last headline that I have here was a late edition, uh, and that is is that I, I like how our last headline always ends up like on a somewhat sad note. But that is is that in this case, it's not a it's not a mobile game shutting down or a games as a service game shutting down. It's that CyberConnect 2's Montreal studio will be closing at the end of July. Um, CyberConnect 2 we've been talking about a little bit in terms typically in like Fuga Melodies of Steel has been their more recent projects that we've been covering. Based on my reading of this press release, it seems like their Montreal studio was more of a support studio that developed tools and technologies, but wasn't explicitly like helming the development of a particular game, but was just supporting their other studios. That was my interpretation here. I don't know if uh, James or or Josh had a different interpretation of this studio sh- of this studio closure announcement. 
Yeah, I didn't. I, I wasn't exactly I was, like you. I wasn't too sure like what their like main role was. Like, cause they, you know, obviously it's hard. It's hard to get a read on that. Like, I, 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 I guess I wrongly thought uh, before going to this that like I thought they were kind of like the main hub for like in-house like localization efforts for CyberConnect two projects. Like, Fugue, for example, is entirely in-house. Like, like, for, like I thought the reason like why it got like a French like uh localization was because of the montreal studio um i don't maybe that uh, i i don't think that's the case though like after like you know talking about it some more um so i assume this wouldn't be uh too much of a big impact now whenever fuga 3 comes around comes around whether like the other trilogy of vengeance titles which are separate from the fuga series uh comes about too i i assume that that won't affect it too much but i don't know exactly either the, the, yeah. the, what, what do you what do you think james on this i i just don't know um yeah because hmm. i do know that fuga itself is profitable now because they got enough money from like microsoft for game pass it's fine but it's like anything that CyberConnect 2 does after that i just don't know because like they opened up that montreal studio uh before covid back when they also thought that they were going to be working on like final fantasy 7 remake it was going to be a support studio helping the main team yeah. work yeah. on that and then the aspirations were eventually to expand it into like creating your own titles but i remember not too long ago james that like the montreal studio is also like actively like seeing people to hire as well yeah like, yeah and yeah, like, and, re- and remember the anime expo that like we went to? Like they were also like, "Hey, if you're interested in working with us, like they're actively like recruiting like at the to, anime expo." That to you be went fair, to, to be fair, that recruitment thing, they were specifically talking about their Fukuoka office. <laughs> okay, was it was it that? Not yeah, and, and they were that. very clear that they they want to hire. They at least then, and I'm, I assume like it's still like a something that they act when they're hiring. They look for. They do want to hire foreigners like to like the the main company offices in japan i mean hell it, it worked out for them with fuga like they got to like uh well we'll we'll see how fuga 2 turns out i'm sure it'll be just as good as the first one if not better but um yeah i mean like critically that was a success like people enjoy that game people love that game so mm-hmm. and that was a. Uh, am not sure if he was french or french canadian but yeah director so Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I I'm sure like since they actively court like um people from different backgrounds, even for like the Japanese side of things, they probably figured that it wasn't worth keeping the actual Montreal studio around, which which sucks for anyone that was there, but when you look at what's happened since they opened that studio, it's not like it doesn't make sense why they made the decision. If someone wants to be a real hero. Okay, before this studio closes down, there's any original FF7 remake access, assets that CyberConnect2 worked on? I am you know? so curious about that. <laughs> I want to see what it looked like. Is it like that motorcycle game that they put on the cell phone or something like that? I don't know. Like, I just say, there's, if there's any remaining assets of that project in that studio, if anyone wants to be, you know, like uh, a legend for, for the sake of uh, preservation of video game history, you know. Man, I'm curious what it was. Is this such a trash fire that 
that Square Enix are like, well, we got to take it back in our own hands. We don't want this. <laughs> you know. Uh, I'm not saying, you know, I'm not suggesting anything. I'm just like putting the idea out there, but I'm not suggesting, you know, anything. Just saying. (laughs) Well, that covers us for news this week on the podcast. So a little bit short, a lot of gameplay trailers for upcoming games. Uh, We actually have a few like fairly significant releases coming out over the next seven days before next week's podcast. Uh, We've got Live Alive coming to PC. We've got Sunbreak coming to PlayStation and Xbox. Honkai Star Rail. Uh, maybe Chow is interested in that one coming out on the uh, 26th. But we'll likely start off next week's podcast, of course, with our thoughts on Xenoblade Chronicles 3's DLC. With a one, I'll, I'll put a footnote here that we might delay a week if people are hesitant on talking about it, if they want to complete it first and we haven't completed it in time. So we'll play it by ear. We don't know like the scope or extent or how long it's going to be. But that'll that'll be a highlight whenever we do get to talk about it, either next week or the week after. And then we'll roll right into May, of course, with um, Zelda and all the other major releases into May. You see that? You see what just happened? Ryan already totally forgot about Jedi Survivor. When Xenoblade 3 was announced, the DLC was announced, I was like, what the fuck is Jedi Survivor? Well, well, Jedi Survivor I actually don't have on our RPG list here because it's kind of occupying that weird space. What is the release date of Jedi Survivor? The, The 28th. All right, so that's also this week. All right, so... Maybe we'll earmark time for that next week as well. We'll see. Uh, so that'll be a fun pairing. Xenoblade and Jedi, because like oil and vinegar. I, I, I mean, you know, Rex has two lightsabers, pretty much. That's, that's, that is true. But uh, so it's it's kind of interesting because oftentimes we go into these podcasts, not 100% sure what we're going to talk about in terms of which game uh, we'll be talking about in the upcoming weeks. But we're now we're kind of going into a, a, a release schedule where we have a few major hitters that we know we definitely want to hit up when they release and get get talking about them. So we'll be hitting those up as we go into the summer months here. But as we get to the end of this podcast, uh, thank you all so much for listening. We have all of those features that we called out earlier in the podcast, the Rise of 3 review, the Advance Wars 1 and 2 bootcamp review, James's uh, Wild Hearts feature is up on the site, as well as our little kind of preview op-ed for the Pixel Remasters up on the site for the Switch and PlayStation 4 versions. Uh, we have all the gameplay trailers that we talked about up on our site as well. I do also want to do one quick shout out, of course, for those pixel remasters is that Adam, alongside a lot of other staff members, have put together several different guides of different lengths up on the site. Whether you're looking for just kind of like a bare bones walkthrough or a very specific thing, we have a lot of those kind of put together for those that are either playing through those games for the first time or are revisiting them as they release on modern consoles. So we have a lot of that. A lot of work's gone into that for some of those articles up on the site. So I wanted to at least make sure that we call those out here. Uh, You can join the RPG site discord by hitting the link at our top of our homepage, the link on the bottom of our YouTube videos or going by to discord.gg slash RPG site. Uh, You can find RPG site on all the social media platforms on YouTube, Facebook, uh, Instagram, or Twitter. And we will be back next week with another episode of the Tetracast where it seems like we'll be discussing likely Xenoblade Chronicles 3's DLC and Jedi Survivor. So thank you all so much for listening. If you've got any feedback, let us know in the comments of our YouTube channel, of our site post, or on whatever podcast service of choice. And we will be back next week. Until you hear from us then, stay safe and take care. We will talk to you all next time. All right. I have probably second thoughts. Delete the episode.